1: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Time called, and Craig Council's going to go out with Scott Behringer, the Brewers' head athletic trainer, and that is not great. Brewers already banged up a little bit with their, their pitching staff, and Wade Miley, you see Craig shaking his head like that. That's typically a sign of, hey, don't push it, and it looks like Wade Miley's going to come out of this game. Fly ball to deep center. Backing up, Nubar still back at the track. Gone! Tie game as Joey Weimer goes deep for the first time on the road. Henry going back out there, Brian Anderson shoots one in the air to center. Back is New Bar. Still back. Warning track. Gone. Brewers have the lead on Brian Anderson's sixth of the season. On the ground at third. Anderson has it. Steps on the bag and the game is over. Devin Williams, the first career five-out save for him. And the Brewers win game two. What a job by Devin Williams and the rest of this bullpen to pick up Wade Miley. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis,
3: I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Brewers TV Network. Alex is out today, so we're going to be positive, despite the fact that the Cardinals lose three to two against the Brewers last night. Tanner, this one seemed pretty simple. I didn't have like a massive takeaway from this game, other than go one for nine with runners in scoring position. This is the result: you left twelve runners on base, you scored two runs. That's not going to win you a whole lot of ball games. They scored 18 runs on Monday. They scored nine runs on Sunday. They found a way to come back on both Friday and Saturday. You scored six, three, 12, in the three prior to this. I'm not going to freak out over one game. We're not at that place in the season any longer. If this exact same game took place in late April when this team was going through its struggles, We'd be coming on today, freaking out about their inability to hit with runners in scoring position, their inability to take advantage of the fact that the Brewers came into that game with Wade Miley on the mound and only got one and two thirds innings out of him before he had to leave the game due to injury. And you couldn't take advantage of their bullpen. All of those things are still true. All of those things were still frustrating to watch last night. The Cardinals had plenty of opportunities to take advantage of. But because they have had this winning stretch and because the division has been so bad around them, I don't think I have a whole lot of leg to stand on when I sit up here and say to myself, eh, it's just a weird loss. That stuff happens as opposed to freaking out about any one individual loss right now.
4: Yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's just a disappointing loss. I'm not too upset about it. I have no major takeaway. And I agree. If it was... You know, last month at this point and they lost this game, sure, I'd be freaking out. It, it just came down to simple, you know, credit to the Brewers' bullpen. The bullpen did its job last night covering as many innings as they did with Wade Miley leaving due to injury, and the fact that you just didn't hit with runners in scoring position. But there's still good signs. I mean, you saw Arnato hit another home run to show that he's back, um, and, and Montgomery was fine last night. I didn't think he was great, but he was fine and solid for you, and Hicks looked great as well, and the bullpen did its job. I, I do think, though, it is potentially, and, and potentially is the key word there, a missed opportunity for the St. Louis Cardinals because that's a game that felt very winnable coming into it because Milwaukee struggles against left-handed pitching. You had Jordan Montgomery, who's arguably been your best starter for the entire part of the season so far, even though he had a rough outing uh, not that long ago. And your offense was coming off a great performance and Miley leaves the game early due to injury. Felt like a game that, hey, you look at it and you say the Cardinals should win that baseball game. And the reason I say that, too, is because now you're not starting Adam Wainwright versus Corbin Burns in a winner-take-all for this three-game set. It's Matthew Libertor. And, look, I'm excited to see Matthew Libertor pitch tonight. I've been screaming from the mountains to get him in this damn rotation. The problem is, though, is is that going to translate from triple A to major to the MLB? And he's going up against Burns in a game which, you know, the offense is really going to struggle. So it feels like a potentially missed opportunity that if this team drops two of three, I may point back at this game and go, yeah, that that's a spot where they need to win. They need to find a way to win that baseball game against Milwaukee Brewers because series are so important right now and they're really important against the NL Central opponents. Because what's the number one tiebreaker if it comes down to it? It's the head-to-head record. And that that's a game that it felt like they should find a way to win.
3: Yeah, it's more I'm disappointed, not mad. Like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed at the Cardinals after what happened last at night. That's kind of how I felt leaving. Treatment. Exactly. That's kind of how I felt leaving that game. After that game last night, uh the Brewers now have one game left in this series against the Cardinals. Of course, as T-Bone mentioned, they've got Corbin Burns starting that game. That has not gone well at times in the past for the St. Louis Cardinals. The next time these two teams will meet is on September 18th. That's the time that they that's the next time that they will return to St. Louis. Seven of the final 13 games of the season are against the Brewers. This is, of course, due to the scheduling change this year, where the Cardinals only play 13 games against divisional opponents. This is something that a lot of people have made a lot of. I don't really, because I I mean, if you don't take care of business outside of this division, then you don't have any business winning the division the Cardinals have plenty of opportunities to take advantage of the Milwaukee Brewers right now. uh, They are down two to three in this series against the Brewers. It's basically a 50 50 proposition. You got to take advantage of the bad teams. You got to beat the Reds. You've got to beat the Pirates. You've got to beat the Cubs. And if you do that, you're going to be fine. The Cardinals right now are not like completely out of this thing by any stretch of the imagination due to how poor the rest of the division has been so far this season. I think a little bit too much has been made about the scheduling change this year. I I wouldn't read too much into that at all. You're seven and a half games out. If you win today, you'll be six and a half games out. I think that's a perfectly fine spot, all things considered, to be at at this point in the season
4: yeah I, i'm with you I, I think it comes down to unlike in the years prior where it was between you and milwaukee was hey how do you do against the bottom feeders in the division in terms of the cubs the pirates and the reds and the pirates and cubs are no cakewalk anymore now it is more of a just lance uh look across the whole entire landscape how do you do against the bottom feeder feeders across major league baseball Absolutely. and if you underperform there then yeah I, i'm with you you have no right to win the division you don't you're not going to go uh, like 10 and three against Milwaukee to be able to take the division from them. What you got to do is you got to do a better job of taking care of business against the bottom feeders across major league baseball. And that's why I like the Detroit tiger series. Pretty disappointing that you end up uh, dropping, what was it two or three to them? So I, I, I think that's where it matters. I, I agree with you. I think the scheduling thing about playing the division less, I don't think that matters as much for the race. It does have some influence on it, but I, I don't think it's as big a deal as some people have made it out to be. Now, I do think it's clear to see that the NL Central is going to struggle with a balanced schedule as a whole, and that's why I say again, you've got to take care of those bottom feeders, not just in the National League, but when you play like the Oakland a's, there's you've got to sweep that series. When you play a team like um, I'm trying to think, the Kansas City Royals, you've got to sweep that series when you play them. So I, I think it's more of just looking across the landscape and just making sure you do a better job against the under 500 teams. Every time that you
3: struggle against the bad teams, it just means you have to be that much better against the quarterbacks. Quality opponents. That's what it hard. does. It just changes the math on what you have to do against the above 500 teams. And I know that everybody gets upset about the way that the Cardinals perform against above 500 teams. Do yourself a favor. Go over to baseball reference. You can put in a search. Look at what every team in Major League Baseball does against the teams that are above 500. It's really hard to win those games. That's why when you get into the playoffs, all you got to do is be one game above 500 to be able to take down a, a, one of those opponents. That's basically what the Cardinals need to do this year. Whenever you're playing against the Dodgers coming up, Try to win three out of four. If you split that series, there ain't no harm or no foul. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with winning two out of four against the Dodgers. But then you play against the Cincinnati Reds, win three out of four in that series or sweep them. That's what you got to take advantage of. And then the Royals, you got to win that two game set against them. But then you've got the Texas Rangers. They're a really good team this year. Take two out of three. Those are the kinds of things that you have to do the rest of the way. Because of how poor the start has been, yesterday was disappointing given what the Brewers had in terms of uh, basically a bullpen game. But it's not the end of the world. There is one thing that I think people are going to start being critical of, and that's the offense. Anthony Stalter mentioned this yesterday on the fast lane, and I thought it was almost like one of those things where he spoke it into existence. Basically, an AKO is what we saw yesterday take place. Here's what Staltz mentioned about the offense on the fast lane. I think it's an interesting point. I would not be shocked in two weeks if we're complaining again about the offense. This is why... I don't know, Anthony. I might disagree with you on that. Go ahead. You think you think it's going to be consistent? I, I look at the pieces in place right now. Nolan Arenado he struggled to start the season. There's no doubt. But mm-hmm. the back of his baseball card told all of us that it was going to be okay. And right now, he seems like he's figured out whatever it was. Given mm-hmm. what you just said, what's the difference now compared to what at the start of the well, year Aranato, when you were saying that? Nolan Arenado? So so Arenado got colds. A lot of your lineup got colds.
1: I understand that, Anthony.
3: So I think it's this is why I think it's going to be feast or famine. And if you don't fix the pitching, it's not going to matter. You're going to have this roller coaster. You know what I mean? I just disagree with it. Like, I understand where Stalter's coming from, and that's been the criticism of the Cardinals in recent years is that, hey, one day they score 18 runs, and then yesterday, like they did, uh, they end up scoring two runs against the Milwaukee Brewers. That's baseball, man. That's the way that this works. And I know that yesterday you didn't go up against some ace starter like Corbin Burns. You you went up against basically their bullpen for the entirety of that game. Guys, look at the Cardinals numbers offensively. They're top 10 in batting average. They're top 10 on base percentage. They're top 10 in slugging percentage. They are one of the teams that strikes out at the lowest rates in all of Major League Baseball. And yes, is that boosted by some of their high-level games? Absolutely. But they are able to have those high-level games because they have a big-time offense. And when you look at the way that this lineup is constructed, you've got guys that get on base at a high, high level, like Lars Newt and Brendan Donovan. You got guys that hit specifically for a whole lot of power, like a Nolan Gorman, for example, you've got guys that do a little bit of everything with Paul Goldschmidt, Wilson Contreras, Nolan Arenado. This lineup is put together in a way where you've got that lineup diversity. I like that. That's what I think that at times in the past, the Yankees have been criticized for is they've exclusively got guys that hit home runs. That's it. If they're not hitting the long ball, it's over for them. Cardinals don't have a lineup like that. That's not the way that they're constructed. So while I do think at times that's been a fair criticism of them in the past, I don't think that's fair of this team specifically. If Nolan Arnato goes through another historically bad slump, yeah, they're going to go through some stretches where it doesn't look as good because he's the guy that's supposed to help them maintain that level. But barring something unforeseen like that, I think this offense is going to be fine. I, I don't have a lot of concerns about them.
4: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think they're going to be really a feast or famine offense. I, I think what happened was everybody got kind of cold at the same time early in the year, and I, I don't think that's going to happen. They have too many pieces to where even if Arnauto went really cold again, I would still expect the offense to put up decent numbers. It wouldn't be like one-run one, one run games constantly. Like, look at the Milwaukee Brewers, for example. If Adamus Contreras and Yelich are hitting, that team's not going to score runs because they don't have pieces surrounding them. Hell, even when they are, sometimes it's not enough this year. I, exactly. And and when you look at the Cardinals, even if, say, are not on Contreras' struggle, you've got Gorman that's been playing really well. You have Tommy Eamon that crushes left-handed pitch and you got Lars Newbar who's getting on base at the top of the order. So I, I don't think they're going to be... Feast or famine. I, I think they're going to put up consistent, really good offensive numbers. And there are going to be a a handful of games where they just get shut down, kind of like last night, where they just fail to bring in runners from scoring position.
3: The Cardinals are are like one of those comedies that you watch where like for the first 30 minutes, you're laughing your ass off the entire time. And then there's that middle portion where you're like, ah, I feel like this is kind of dragging on a little bit here. There's like a 20 to 30 minute stretch there. And then at the back end, you're back into it. Right. But that's baseball like that's baseball in 2023. You look around the league and uh, there was a great piece by and we'll talk about this here just a little bit. Jason Stark earlier today on what the changes have led to in major league baseball for as much as we'll talk about the hits being up, the base runners being up, the runs being up a little bit. The thing that hasn't changed at all is the strikeouts. The strikeouts are as high as they've ever been in the history of the sport. And that's because pitching is just too good. So when you're going up against this quality pitching that there is all across Major League Baseball, it's really hard to score runs consistently. It's not just a Cardinals problem, although yesterday it was specifically a Cardinals problem. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're talking all things Cardinals with John Denton of MLB.com. Excited to get his perspective on the 2023 Major League debut for Matthew Liberator, John Denton joins us to discuss the thought process that went into bringing Matthew Liberator up to the big leagues for today. We'll do that coming up at 1130. But next, Nolan Arnato is exactly back to what we expected him to be this season. What does it mean for him? What does it mean for the Cardinals? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Swing, fly ball. Nolan's done it again. Into the lower deck. RBI number 999 for Nolan Arenado. It's a game tire.
3: Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest. As yet again, Nolan Arenado hits a home run. He is the ninth Cardinal to hit a home run in five consecutive games. He is the first to do so since Goldie did it uh, in six consecutive games in 2019. Goldie is a uh, member of the prime club. Of players to hit at least six straight or home runs in six straight games, along with Matt Carpenter and Mark McGuire. Those are the only three in Cardinals history that have done that. Nolan Arnato could join that exclusive club if he does it once again today. Tanner, Nolan Arnato is back to the numbers that we expected him to be at. I was looking this up earlier this morning. Arnato is now on pace to finish with 30 home runs and 117 RBIs this year. All right. While he was going through all the struggles, we said, hey, Look at the back of the baseball card. Nolan Arnato does one thing and one thing only. He shows up, he plays 150 games, he hits 30 home runs, and he drives in 100 runs. Every single season, it's like clockwork. You can guarantee you could put that on in pin, really. You know what Nolan Arnato is going to produce for your lineup. And that's exactly what he's done. In his last 12 games, he's batting .333 with an OPS over 1,100. He has six home runs and a double and a triple in this stretch. With 17 RBIs. Nolan Arenado is Nolan Arenado again. And when we talked a bunch about what's gone wrong with the offense, what's gone wrong with the construction of this team, the answer was and remains very simple. Nolan Arnauto was hitting like one of the worst players in Major League Baseball, and he's not that. He's not going to be that. And now that he's hitting like himself again, yeah, I know yesterday was a rough one for the Cardinals. The rest of the team around him did not show up in a way that you wanted him to. But now that he is lifting the lineup again from the middle of the order man, they're going to be all right when it comes to their offense. I've got questions about the pitching, and we can get into that as we continue here, but the offense, I think, is going to be A-OK with Nolan Arnato producing like this.
4: Yeah, I agree with you. When Arnato's hitting, it just this team, I think it's when he was cold. He had the most runners in scoring position, played appearances with runners in scoring position. And when he's hitting, he's going to drive those guys in. That's why he's hitting cleanup. He's the man that's going to clean up the runners on base, driving the runs. And not only is it that he's... Hitting, He's hitting for power again, too, and that's the biggest thing. Everybody knows my, my motto is slug baby slug, and, and when Arnado is slugging the baseball like he has been, it, it just adds so much damage to this lineup, and, and not only that you got Goldie in front of him that can do it, Newpar's getting on base, Contreras has been playing really well since his cold start to the year. There's just so many opportunities for Arnato to, to drive in those runs, and, and it is just as simple as, Uh, this team is going to win baseball games based on the way that Goldie and Arnado play. Now, the surrounding pieces will help determine how far they can go, but if this team is going to be a 90-win team or a team that does damage in the playoffs... It all depends on Nolan Arnato Paul Goldschmidt, and then also Wilson Contreras. Those three are the driving force for this team.
3: 314 399 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We did get this from the 314 a little bit earlier today. Hey, guys, I didn't like the way that Ollie Marble shook up the lineup yesterday. I didn't understand why that felt necessary even with them going up against a lefty uh, T-bone. I texted you after they had announced this. Now there were a few things that I could quibble with. Like I didn't like the fact that Paul DeYoung was batting fifth against a left-handed pitcher. I would have put Tommy Edman batting fifth and Paul, uh, Paul Young batting seventh. I just would have swapped those two guys in the lineup. That's a small thing. I do think it mattered at the end of the game. Like I, I would have preferred Tommy Edmond in that spot than DeYoung, but that was against a righty. So I wouldn't have loved the matchup there for Edmund either. So, When you went into it, I thought to myself, I kind of like what they're doing here. I like the fact that given Carlson having the day off, they got creative, put Tommy Edman in right field. You did have Kisner behind the plate, which helps you defensively, and it allows you to get your best offensive lineup in there as well with Wilson Contreras at DH. The other thing I wanted to ask you about in relation to this, do you think they have finally developed like a solidified top four in their lineup on a day to day basis? The reason why I ask this is because yesterday they had Lars Nupar as their leadoff hitter. I think he's going to be your everyday leadoff hitter until he cools down now. Yesterday ended up going 0 for 4 with a walk, but he's getting on base 43% of the time. We mentioned yesterday his numbers against lefties are somehow better than his numbers against righty this year. Goldie has been batting second now for like a month, basically. Arenado is going to be batting cleanup every day. And then Wilson Contreras against lefties bats third against righties bats fifth. And then you'll have Nolan Gorman batting third for you. For all of the talk about the Cardinals switching things up a lot and having this fluid lineup, I do think they do that a little bit based on matchups at the bottom half of the order. I think we're starting to see them solidify a top four or five in the lineup depending on the day.
4: Yeah, I I agree. I I think they have solidified at least the top four with that rotation and then three spot, as you said. Contreras will do it against lefties. Gorman will be batting third against right-handed pitching with him in the the five spot. I I think they have determined that, hey, this is going to be it. For now, I I think they're going to give Newport a run in this leadoff spot against left-handers probably up until, if I had to guess, the all-star break. And then they'll look at the numbers and go, okay, you know what? Maybe we can maximize it a little bit more by bumping Tommy Emmett back into the leadoff spot. Or if Carlson's still on the team, put Carlson in in center field and leading off there in that spot because he's historically been good against yeah, left-handed pitching, year. just not this year but i i think this is what it's going to be up until about the all-star break the one spot that i i think they have to figure out against lefty in pitching is that five spot because Young has not hit lefties in his career and i understand he's a hot bat so i understand trying to have it baby it's his turn i i Honestly, I would not have had an issue with hitting Tommy Edmund fifth uh, yesterday, which seems weird to say because, like, when I think Tommy Edmund, I don't go, you know what? A guy that's going to hit fifth and drive in runs. But, but he, he crushed. I mean, we lefties. saw
3: yesterday he he hits for power from the left side. And this year against left-handed pitchers, he's got a slugging percentage of 620, if I just told you, hey, slugging percentage of 620, who has that? You'd be like Nolan Aranato, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, Nolan Gorman, one of those guys. No, it's it's Tommy Edmund. He's hitting for a lot of power from the left side of the plate. He's had 42 at-bats in that scenario. He's got three doubles and three home runs in those 42 at-bats. That's what you want out of a guy that's batting fifth for you. And oh, by the way... He makes a lot of contact, and so when you've got those runners and scoring position opportunities, he's at least going to put the ball in play. So I I trust him in that spot of the order.
4: Yeah, I I agree, and I I think that's just really the one spot they've got to figure out right now is who's hitting fifth against lefties because we've always talked about that's the spot that I circle as one through five. If your team is really good one through five and that's the the, uh, heart of your batting order that's going to do damage, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. And right now that five spot – just not cutting it out against left-hand pitchers with Paul DeYoung there. And again, DeYoung's been really good. So, like, I'm not trying to say, like, DeYoung's the problem. No, they just got to figure out who's going to do that against lefties. And the other thing I'm fascinated to know, and, and I'll, uh, I think we'll have to ask John Den about this when we have him on here in a couple minutes, but it, are we going to see – I think we're going to see Contreras be the DH against lefties, and Kisner's going to get the starts at catcher for now. Probably. Because I, I think right now it's your best lineup, because Juan Yepez is not hitting. Alec Burleson, you don't really want him against lefties, and he's really been cold. And um, – trying to think of Tres Brera like you're not going to put him in the lineup so I I think Kisner's the starting catcher against left-handed pitching right now and Contreras is the DH I think that's how they're going to go about it
3: coming up in about 15 minutes 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service Tax lineup for questions and answers but next speaking of John Denton he's going to join us here on the show to talk about the call-up for Matthew Libertor what went into the decision of inserting him into this six-man rotation now and What does John Denton think is going to be the decision with Dylan Carlson? Is he going to go on the IL? And if so, what does that mean for their roster? We'll talk to John Denton about all of that coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
5: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear?
0: Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're
1: right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside
3: Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But right now, we're going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by John Denton. You can find his work over at cardinals.com. You can follow him on Twitter at John Denton 555. John, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today?
5: I'm doing great, Brandon. Thanks for having
3: me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on, especially with Matthew Libertor getting the call up to start today against the Brewers. Uh, John, this was something we got word a little bit about early yesterday, and then officially they uh, announced it yesterday after the game. Uh, For our listeners, can you take us through kind of what Ollie Marmol explained to you guys when he told you what the decision, what went into this decision, why Libertor tomorrow, why the six man rotation right now?
5: Well, Brenda, they're in a uh, uh, streak now where they're playing for 17 days in a row. You know, the last off day was Thursday before Boston played those three. And then they're playing every day for this week and next week. So they're in a stretch where they feel like they need to give their pitchers, uh, you know, a little a little bit more rest, push them back, uh, you know, and another thing. Milwaukee is 28th in the league in OPS against left-handers. They were last in the league last year. Milwaukee does not hit left-handers well. Uh, Jordan Jordan Montgomery pitched a great game last night. Uh, pitched tough luck. Uh, Libertor's been really good this season in the minor leagues. Uh, there is a little bit of concern. He's given up five home runs in the minor leagues. Uh, that was a problem last year. He was, you know, he's two and two and I think eight games last year for the Cardinals, but he gave up uh, five home runs. Uh, but but anytime you can get a lefty on the mound against the uh, against the Brewers, you, you know you usually you, uh, the odds are in, your, are in your favor.
4: John, with Matthew Libertor coming up, I, I know a couple of weeks ago we talked about Stephen Matz potentially losing his spot in the rotation, moving to the bullpen, and, and he's been good his last two outings. But is there a scenario if Libertor's good in one, two, three outings, depending on how many he gets here up at the major leagues? that he could take someone's spot, maybe Stephen Matz's spot in this rotation, or is it just simple as, hey, he's up here for the six-man rotation, and when we go back to a five-man, he's back down to AAA?
5: Yeah, you know, when we asked last night if, you know, is Libertor here for one start or is he here for, you know, for for several starts, uh, Ali Marmal didn't want to answer that. I Mm -hmm. mean, obviously, obviously there's a chance, you know, if he goes out and pitches well tonight, you can rest assured he's getting another start. If it goes poorly tonight, it may be a one-start thing. But, you know, all along... You know, a lot of people were were clamoring for, for Libertor to be called up. Well, he was only going to be called up if he was going to be here for, for multiple starts. They don't want to, you know, jerk him around and start him one time and send him back down. Uh, if he pitches well tonight, I think he'll definitely get a second start, maybe a third start. Uh, the, they want him to come up here and, and be good. You know, that's the, the, their rotation has not been good enough. Even during the stretch where they played better, they've won – Almost, despite their starting staff, sometimes uh, you know they need that starting staff to go deeper in the games. It's not really something that's going on across major baseball. There's, there's a lot of five and dive guys now. Uh, it's kind of been in the way with the Cardinals. Uh, but but it, if Libertor comes up and pitches well, you can rest assured he's going to get at least one more start.
3: Uh, John, another move that I, I'll be curious to see if they make today is with Dylan Carlson. He he wasn't available the last couple of days with that ankle injury. I, it sounds like some of the quotes yesterday weren't super awe-inspiring or confidence-inducing uh, with him saying that he's, he's hoping to be back as soon as possible. Do you think there's an IL stint coming today for Dylan Carlson, John? And if so... What do they do there with the outfield? Because the only guy that's on the 40-man that's down in the minors right now is Moises Gomez. It feels like Oscar Mercado makes a little bit more sense when it comes to their their active roster and potentially having a guy that can play center field, but they would have to make a 40-man move for that.
5: Yeah, there's also a guy on the 40-man roster named Jordan Walker, but uh, that's a whole different point, right? <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> um, uh, the Moises, had, uh, Moises Gomez had a... Uh, a two-run single last night to tie up that game. Jordan Walker had two more hits down there last night. Um, I actually think the, the news was pretty good last night with uh, Dylan Carlson. The fact that he was able to take batting practice was a good sign. Um, the ankle hurts more when he bats left-handed than right-handed. Um, you know, when I saw him walking on Monday, I thought that was definitely going to be a uh, was going to be a, an IL stint. He was really hobbled on that ankle. Um, he, he was encouraged on Sunday night. On Monday, he looked like he was walking like a 65-year-old man. And then <laughs> yesterday, the news was pretty good. So, you know, w- with these kind of things, it's always about the next day. So he took batting practice yesterday, had no problems batting right-handed. Uh, but now let's see how it feels today. And, you know, if, if if he comes back sore and hobbled today, I think you put him on the IL, you backdate it to Sunday, and, and, and you get another outfielder up here because – you know, we know Tommy Edmond can play right field, but it's not something you want to do long term. Uh, you know, Juan Wine, has had, had trouble on a ball uh, at the Green Monsters the other day. So, you know, maybe they're a little leery of doing that right now. But, you know, if, if Tommy backslides with this thing, if he wakes up today and it's worse, I, I could see him going on the I.L. But yesterday was actually positive news coming out of him.
3: That's good to hear. John Denton is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at Cardinals.com. Staying in the outfield, John, specifically with injured guys, uh, Tyler O'Neill is expected to go on a rehab stint at some point later on this week. Uh, it doesn't sound like we know yet where he's going to be going or how long he'll be down there, but I saw yesterday Derek Gould in his chat mentioned that he believes the Cardinals will look into potentially trading Tyler O'Neill after he's off the I.L., what's your perspective on that? How do you view the maybe immediate and long-term outlook for Tyler O'Neill with the Cardinals?
5: Yeah, well, first off, uh, he's scheduled to, to, to go on a stint on Thursday. Uh, that's what they're looking at now. I would guess he's going to play at least two or three games down in the minors. Uh, you know, he started off last week hitting off a tee, then he's been hitting off a coach, and yeah, uh, he was supposed to take a uh, full batting practice. That's something he'll probably do today. We we saw him running and throwing yesterday at Bush Stadium. He's making progress. Um but but I know there is a frustration there. There's a frustration with Tyler with the Cardinals and there's a frustration with the Cardinals with Tyler. Like, you know, he spent all off season working to try to make his body more baseball friendly and, and injury resistant and you know, it, it the Cardinals kinda of wonder, you know, what do we have in this guy? Is he a guy we can depend on? And this was supposed to be a big bounce back season and they they granted, Tyler's request to let him play center field, and you know that didn't last long. But uh, you know there, there's frustration on both sides. And anytime you have a surplus, anytime you have extra outfielders, or you know you're gonna you're gonna look to trade from that area. And I, I totally think that you know that's an area where the Cardinals feel like they have a surplus. If he could return the right caliber guy, they don't want to give Tyler away. Tyler O'Neill away for nothing. They still think he has potential to be a really good player in this league, but he's got to stay healthy, and he's got to become more consistent. And to do that, he's got to get back on the baseball field.
4: John, with that in mind, I I brought this up in the office to BK earlier today before our show. Would the Cardinals consider trying to put him at just the DH spot because I, I look at the Minnesota Twins and they did this with Byron Buxton where he's played in 39 games and all 39 games have been DH just to keep him on the field. Do you think there's a chance the Cardinals may explore that option to just try and keep him healthier and stay on the baseball field and try this one more time?
5: It, it makes sense. But, but you know, part of what makes Tyler O'Neill special and what part of what makes him valuable to the Cardinals is the fact that he's a two-time goal glover. What makes him special is he can run. He can, you know, he, he's got top-end speed with – some of the best in baseball like byron buxton like you mentioned uh you know i i think that's severely limiting him if you if you talk about just using him as a dh and you know let's face it he's he's hitting 228 he has two home runs and six rbi like you need more out of a dh than that uh you know part of what makes tyler on special is that complete package uh you know if he's just a dh he's you know half a half of what he could could possibly offer so Uh, Could they consider that? Yes, but I don't think they will because they they want him in the outfield because that's, that's probably where he's at his best as a player.
3: John, final question that I've got for you. Lars Newbar yesterday was leading off against a lefty, and this is something that I've been wondering if they're going to do because his splits against left-handed pitching has been excellent this year, and it's really been the case uh, over the last couple of years since coming up to the Cardinals. He had not been doing that previously. That's something that they had been doing with Tommy Edman as their leadoff hitter against left-handed pitching. I kind of liked it with Newt Bar at the top. I wouldn't even mind Tommy Edmund batting fifth against lefties uh, and just kind of putting that as the sandwich around that middle of the order. Do you get the sense that's something they will continue with, or was that a one-off based on uh, the way that the roster shook up with Dylan Carlson being down yesterday?
5: I think they absolutely loved that, that move, uh, Brennan, because uh, if you look back at the Boston series, uh Lars Neubauer is this guy who really stays in the box with, with lefties. He lets the ball get deeper. He went the opposite way four or five times against uh, against Boston. You know, we kept remarking on it as if he was aiming for that monster. I think he had two opposite field doubles. Uh, last night, he really stayed, up, stayed in there against the lefty early in the game. He just missed a, a double down the line a couple of times. He lets the ball go deeper, uh, you know, deeper. And then he hits it the other way, which is a really good sign. And like you said, he's not splitty. He's a guy who who's going to work deep into counts. He drew a walk again last night. Uh, like I said, he, he was a foot foot and a half away from, from a double last night against the lefty. Um, they they really like the bats at large takes because of the way he works counts, because of the way he's willing to go the other way. So. I think he could be the le- he, he could be the leadoff hitter regardless who's pitching righties or lefties because he takes such good at bats.
3: It's strange too because Tommy Edmond, he, he has a 600 slugging percentage against lefties this year and that's kind of been the case over the last couple of years in, in a weird roundabout way. Newt actually profiles better as a le- as a left-handed option against. Uh, those left-handed pitchers with a 472 on base percentage, but not a whole lot of slug against them. And then Edmund Holmes yeah. profiles as a middle-of-the-order bat against them. It's It works out pretty well for them, all things considered. Hey, John, we appreciate the time, as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight. You'll be able to see Corbin Burns out there. You see Libertor back up for the first time in 2023. Uh, should be a fun one out at Bush Stadium today.
5: Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. You guys keep up the good work. Take Absolutely.
3: Care. Same to you. That's John Denton joining us here on One Hundred and One ESB and ESPN. Always appreciate his time. You can find all of his great work over at cardinals.com and follow him on Twitter at John Denton, five, five, five. I like Liberator at the top of, or excuse me, Liberator. I like Newt bar at the top of this order. I like Edmund in the middle of the order. I'm fascinated to see what Liberator looks like tonight. Because if there was ever a time to make this move, it was specifically against the Milwaukee Brewers. You heard him talk about this a little bit, but the Brewers have been terrible this year against left-handed pitching. And it's been something that's been a problem for them over the last couple of seasons. As a team, they are batting two twenty against lefties this year with a two eighty-five on on-base percentage and basically zero power whatsoever. So this is the exact kind of matchup that you would want for Matthew Liberatore. And now it comes down to him making good on his opportunity here.
4: Yeah, it's a great matchup for Matthew Libertor, and it makes a ton of sense to throw him out there with a team that struggles against lefties. And I'm fascinated to know what he looks like because... As John said, he's been giving up the home run ball down in A, but the swing and miss stuff has been off the charts for him so far this year. And it's clear he's made the made adjustments. He's thrown like 98 with his fastball. Sinker's got good movement. I think when we talked to Kyle Reese a week, two weeks ago, he mixes up his pitch arsenal as he gets deeper into the game to help kind of change the uh, eye level on, on batters. So I, I'm fascinated to know what he looks like because if what we see in Triple A is real, I think there's a legitimate chance that he ends up taking Steven Matz's spot in the rotation. That's why I asked John Denton about it, because it, it'd be one thing if the Cardinals just said, you know what, he's coming up here for two starts while we get the 6 man rotation, freshen up our arms, and he's going right back to AAA. But it doesn't sound like the Cardinals are just kind of putting uh, a handicap on it. It sounds like they're open to competition. And if anything, from the theme of spring training, this team likes to have competition. And I think that's what Libertor is. I think he's got an opportunity to potentially beat out Steven Matts for a spot in the rotation. Coming
3: up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. If you guys have any questions, we'll give you some answers coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers.
6: Brought to you by Insperity. To HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at insperity.com.
3: One, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six is the air comfort service text line for ask us or excuse me for questions and answers. Uh, let's get to this from the three, one, four guys. Who do you think has a better career as the future? Number one, overall pick Connor, Bedard in the NHL or women who is expected to be the number one pick in the NBA, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but the San Antonio Spurs were officially announced last night as winning the draft lottery. They will get another Potentially franchise-changing player at the top of the draft, just as they did with David Robinson in the '80s, with Tim Duncan in the late '90s, and now once again with Benyama, uh this year in the NBA draft. So, who has a better career? You think it's Bedard or him? It?
0: Yeah, it's rigged for the Blackhawks yeah. for sure. So, Connor Bedard's obviously going Spurs? to have the better career for the Spurs. Probably yeah. not. I don't oh, know the enough the about the NBA to know how corrupt they are, but. Um, <laughs> I know enough about the NHL draft lottery from uh, the past few. So that's what I can base that off of.
3: I think the answer is Victor Wembanyama. Really? I, I would I would take him, yeah. This guy is, some believe, like 7'5". Has re- he's like Kevin Durant kind of abilities. He's like a point forward who has crazy athleticism, plays above the rim, a really good shot, and has handles like he's he's got everything you could have possibly ask for somebody yesterday I think it was uh, Adrian Wojnarowski said he's the most hyped number one NBA draft pick in the history of the sport I don't buy that uh, LeBron James LeBron. <laughs> is a is a guy that exists and 20 years ago I was watching his high school games on ESPN throughout the season where he had celebrities showing up to his games in high school because of how hyped he was so I would probably take him over uh, Wimbenyama, but I would say I I think there are fewer questions about how Wimbenyama's game translates to the NBA than there are with Bedard and his size translating to the NHL. So I would take Victor.
4: I I think I'm with you. I think I would take Victor as well. I I could see where he could struggle, though, because he does remind me a little bit of not in terms of the talent, but just the way his body looks and size of uh, what's his name? Is it Chet Holdgram that came out of Gonzaga where he's kind of big scrawny muscular but he looks like a guy that could deal with injuries kind of like what uh he did chet dealt with coming out of the draft so i i have some concerns there he's stronger than chet was yeah i, I have some concerns there it, and that's kind of the same as badar but i mean he's got like you said he's got all the skill set i i think he's gonna have a better career Than Bedard, but I think it's going to be very close because I think Bedard's going to translate to the NHL, especially in a modern era where there's not kind of the big physical defenseman that can really bully him around on the ice. He's going to fly around like a little water bug. So I I expect both to be great.
0: Well, he has been compared to Connor McDavid. Like he's exactly. been the most highly touted prospect since McDavid. So, if he's going to reach that level, and we all have seen what Connor McDavid has been able to do.
4: Can't win the playoffs. Not a great player.
0: Uh, that's true, but that's that's not because of McDavid. That's because of the goaltending around him. But uh, if Connor Mc or if uh, Bedard can translate to what McDavid has done, then that's a really interesting conversation. Because I mean, he'd be right th- up there with anybody.
3: Yeah, I'm fascinated to see both I I think both are going to be really good players Immediately in their respective leagues From the 314 Guys do you think that the Coyotes will end up moving to Kansas City Uh, Grant you're our resident NHL guy We have been talking a lot about this In the office this morning About what the future holds for Arizona We'll talk about it a little bit further Expand on this a little little later today I don't think it's going to be KC I'd be pretty surprised by that The T-Mobile Center is where they would play If they decided to move there they've had opportunities to try to court a permanent tenant to that arena they have basically been uninterested in doing so because they like the fact that they've got open dates for concerts they think they make more money that way whether you agree with that or not doesn't much matter if that's their perspective, cool, whatever I don't think it's going to be Kansas City where do you think they end up do they stay in Arizona do they end up going to Houston like what's Quebec I have heard thrown around there what do you think is the most likely scenario for
0: them so there's actually been about four teams that have been thrown around on Twitter just in this morning it's Houston Salt Lake City Sacramento and Kansas City those seem like the four I think Elliot Friedman threw that out there interesting uh, that are the early and a lot can change obviously because this is just following the night that it got rejected by Tempe but those are the four cities that look like they are in the running for it I I am surprised that Atlanta and Quebec city aren't in there because there's been a lot of uh, talk around them wanting an expansion team or, you know, whatever they would go after for a team moving. But I do think that Houston is probably the best spot. I know you guys were talking about that earlier in the office, and I would agree that Houston is probably the biggest market that they'd like to go to. Salt Lake city is interesting for me though, because I know they have the NBA there, but in terms of, you know, sports in salt Lake city, it's the NBA and nobody else. So that might be a spot where the NHL can get into and have success because there's really no other sport besides the NBA dominating there.
3: I know there's been some talk, sorry t bone I'll, I'll get to you here in just a sec. Um, there's been some talk about whether or not the league would want them to split in arena with NBA teams. A third of the league, I looked this up yesterday, splits their time with an NHL or NBA team I I don't think that's going to be a determining factor whatsoever as long as they've got an arena that is like up to date up to standards I think that's going to be the biggest thing whether that's a new one or uh, one that they end up having to build or one that they've already got existing with an NBA team
4: yeah I I agree with you there and and I, I think the Salt Lake City one's fascinating because let's not forget you know there's been a lot of buzz about baseball with you know with Oakland moving to Las Vegas of Hey, once they figure out the Tampa situation, Brian Manford has said, hey, baseball is going to expand. And Salt Lake City came out, I think it's like a month ago and had like a proposal of how they would do things. So maybe it's an up and coming sports town to where they could be getting baseball as an expansion and also look to pull the coyotes. I I think Houston makes all the sense in the world though. I mean, that is the, I think fourth biggest city in the U S or top five. I know for sure makes a ton of sense to bring, bring them to Houston. You get another market there. I I don't know what the appetite for hockey would be in that market, but I would think with so many people, you should have a decent hockey kind of population that would like it. I I don't like Atlanta and, and maybe it's just me, but they failed twice with hockey already. That's like going back to an ex that's cheated on you. It just sounds like a bad idea. So I, I would say it's probably Houston. And I, th- I think the Salt Lake City one's interesting.
3: If you guys have this, that's the NHL's perspective, right? What we just gave. What about as a Blues fan's perspective? Where would you want them to move? If, if I told you right now, they're staying in the division and they're going to continue playing regularly. Where would you want to see them move as a Blues fan? Is there any one spot that immediately comes to mind for you
0: well three of those four teams they'd be staying in the central division and it would make sense like the only place that they would play where it wouldn't make sense for the central division would be sacramento and honestly i really don't want to see another team in california anyway because they have so many as it is i think kansas city would be really fun now from the blues perspective it would be a little bit of a not a threat but they would be losing a little bit of their fan base because i'm sure kansas city hockey fans are blues fans but it would make for a fun rivalry, I'll tell you that, and it would increase the temperature in the Kansas City St. Louis rivalry, so I think that would be fun.
4: Yeah, I, I think Kansas is probably the best one because I, I think it's the closest, and then you can go over to Kansas City to catch a game, and, and there's multiple sports teams over there in Kansas City, you know, during football season, maybe you can go do a, who's whoever, Kansas City Coyotes game, I don't know if that'd be their name or not, Probably but not.
3: Uh, you could do. I, I think they would want to rebrand Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: but you could do a hockey game and go to a football game, you got baseball that's there, soccer's there as well, and soccer's the quote-unquote rival for St. Louis City SC so I I would probably say Kansas City if I had to do a second one I'd probably go with Atlanta just because Atlanta is a booming town it'd be great to go down to Atlanta for a weekend and do the same thing
3: I would go KC1 Houston too Houston's a fun town, man. If you have an opportunity to go I visit Houston, when I, went. Brandon, I uh, was
4: with my family and that I was about to say depends on what
3: you're doing. If you if you're doing the right things, Houston Houston can be a good time. Uh, I would I would recommend uh, one and all go down to Houston. First of all, great food city, and second of all, great nightlife. So uh, I would say those are the two spots that I would be most interested in. That being said, they wouldn't stay at, I would assume in the Western Conference, much less the Central Division. But if Quebec City was a real option for them, and they've kind of been tossed around by certain people, not inside of the NHL, but that are speculating on what could happen here. I would imagine that would be a pretty cool town to go to as
4: well. With with that being said, I I wonder, you know, if you're thinking where would you want them to go on this question of how you would like it, Quebec would be interesting because I think you're right. They would probably go to the Eastern Conference And then maybe you pull another old rivalry back into the central like Detroit, which would be which would be interesting. I know a lot of people here would probably love to see that rivalry back. Yeah, that that would be
3: fun. I would love to see Detroit back in the central division, and they certainly make more sense in this division than Arizona, for example. Coming up next. The Cardinals seem to have a for sale sign on Tyler O'Neill. In fact, it almost feels as if they tried to do a garage sale. They put everything up. They put all the signage at the end of the neighborhood, and now they've just put it at the end of the lot. They've put it on the curb, and they're asking for anybody to please take this. We'll talk about it, what they could potentially get for him next year on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 15 minutes, we'll get to more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved for that. Guys, I don't know what's going on with Tyler O'Neill, but this year has not been good once again. He's on the injured list right now, and this is kind of a recurring theme for him. In 2021, he finished the year with a 912 OPS. He had 34 home runs. He was a legitimate MVP candidate. In every other season of his MLB career combined, he has an OPS below 700, and in 930 plate appearances, has 37 home runs. So again, 2021, he had 537 plate appearances, had 34 home runs in the rest of his career combined it almost double the plate appearances has basically the same number of home runs with 37. He had a one-off where it was in an unbelievable year and every other year he's been below average offensively and there's been these weird hiccups where it's like, man, this guy just can't seem to stay healthy and that's happening once again this season. So it begs the question, what do you do? What do you do with a guy that has all this talent? But you can't seem to get him on the field regularly, and when he is out there, he's not performing. Well, Derek Gould was asked that exact question yesterday in his chat for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and here is what he had to say. The Cardinals will be entertaining trading Tyler O'Neill for some kind of starting pitching. That is not related to the shoulder. It's not related to anything other than that the Cardinals have an outfield situation right now, and they, they like it. Tyler O'Neill is on the injured list. If Dylan Carlson's absence is for a little bit longer than expected, that equation could change, but they expect to have a roster bind when Tyler O'Neill returns, and that included the plan to have Contreras getting some looks in left field. With that now changed, Contreras being your everyday catcher, that change does not overlap with Tyler O'Neill. If the Cardinals see the conversation for a trade, They're willing to have it. And yes, they are wary of another a Rosarena situation here. That has been something that is on their mind in the last few years. It was the driving talking point about a year or so ago when other teams talked about the commitment, or excuse me, when the team talked about committing to O'Neill and Carlson and not running into the same situation where another team gives the playing time to those players that the Cardinals were not willing to, and then they see that talent blossom. So Derek Gould basically says, yeah, if other teams want to talk about Tyler O'Neill, Cardinals are willing to have that conversation. I think the tough part here, Tanner, is that if you're the Cardinals, I don't think you're getting offers for, like, hey, let's talk about Dylan Sees for Tyler O'Neill. That's not a conversation that other teams are going to be willing to have. Or the Detroit Tigers, hey, let's talk about Eduardo uh, Rodriguez for Tyler O'Neill. Well, why would I do that if I'm the Tigers? The likelihood is you're going to get a lower level starting pitcher, which the Cardinals currently have a lot of, or maybe you take a flyer on a high upside guy that might be down in the minors right now. How do you view the immediate future of Tyler O'Neill?
4: I, I, I think they are shop. I think they're going to shop him. I, I think they're going to move him. I, I think he's probably the first move the St. Louis Cardinals make before the deadline. I, I think they will trade Tyler O'Neill because it, it sounds like they're just. Done with them, and that comes from what we just heard from John Denton earlier, who said basically, you know, there, Tyler O'Neill's frustrated with the Cardinals. The Cardinals are frustrated with Tyler O'Neill. Like, there's no recovery. From that. And honestly, I don't even think you can make it. You can make an argument, but I'm not going to even listen to it about him being a potential starting outfielder for you right now. I I think your outfield is better when Carlson's healthy and I know he's not hitting, but defensively out there in center field with Donovan in left and Newt Barr in right. I I just think that's a better outfield for the St. Louis Cardinals right now. So I I think they're going to shop him. And and I agree with you. I I said this in the offseason. They should have dealt him in the offseason because. There were still questions of, hey, maybe 2021, that's the real Tyler O'Neill. Maybe 22 is just injuries. Well, you could still get value for him. And as Derek Gold said in his uh, chat, it was clear the Rose Rosarito deal was affecting the Cardinals, and they were scared to make that decision, when to me all along it was – hey, Tyler O'Neill is always going to be an inconsistent player that's going to deal with injuries. You should probably look to move him while his value was still high. I was shocked
3: they didn't move him in the offseason. Legitimately shocked. I thought he had played his final uh, day for the Cardinals.
4: Yeah, so and that's where I was as well because, again, he was in the Arizona Fall League while this team was competing in the postseason to rehabilitate. So I I, I think they're looking to move him, but I agree with you. I, they're not going to get much for him. They're going to get maybe a low-end reliever. Maybe you'd swap... Uh, I mentioned this in the office before the show. Maybe you take like a flyer on somebody else, not a prospect, but like a we'll we'll take a reclamation project as well. And I mentioned Cleveland, you know, Cleveland, they're looking for offense. Would they be willing to take a flyer on O'Neal? Maybe you take a flyer on like a Zach Plesak, somebody like that. Like you're not getting him. He's not going in any trading conversations for the top end arms that are going to be on the trade market. I don't think I have interest in that. I
3: think that's the tough part I, I for I don't me. really
4: either, but I, it feels like something that they might try is let's get in a reclamation project that we think we can quote on quote. Well, what's fix. the upside there?
3: That that's why I I do I would not do that. Like if you let's say you get Zach Plesek, who is a guy that profiles pretty similarly to like a better version of Dakota Hudson, basically. And he he doesn't have a whole lot of swing and miss stuff. He pitches to contact. He doesn't have great velocity. He has not been good in the big leagues. But there was like one season, kind of like Tyler O'Neill, where he was pretty solid. He was an innings eater for them, and much like Dakota Hudson, it's gone downhill ever since. I don't see the upside in that because, in a worst case scenario, you've got a guy that doesn't have great stuff that doesn't end up really making your rotation any better, and so you've just got a controllable back end of the rotation starter for years to come. I want a guy that's got really great stuff that, in a worst case scenario, is at least going to be an excellent reliever for me. So, like, if you are going to go that reclamation project route. I'm okay with that, but it better be for a guy that has really good stuff, like a Kopech, for example, with the Chicago White Sox. I don't know if he's ever going to be a good starter again in the majors. Possibly not. But I know that he's got really good stuff, and if it doesn't work out for you in the rotation, the downside is he's probably going to be a pretty good reliever for you. So I would go somebody more in that vein. I don't mind the reclamation project idea. I just don't like a guy that has low-level stuff as the specific reclamation project
4: that that's fair and, and i agree with you for what it's worth i i threw i threw Plesak out there as more of a placeholder and a guy, we know that he's available yeah because he's been struggling i think he's even now in the minors after his rough start to the year very much similar to tyler o'neill so i just threw him out there because hey if we're looking at cleveland who's a reclamation project it's zach police i i don't disagree with you though i i think if you are taking a reclamation project on it should be somebody that's got swing and miss stuff and maybe it is a Starter that maybe you don't even look to him as being a starter. Maybe you look at him as, hey, maybe your stuff plays better coming out of the bullpen, and you try to experiment with that. So I, I think a reclamation project could be the route that they go, but I think what they're ultimately going to end up doing is they're probably going to have to just trade him and go for, like, maybe it's too like, flyers on low-level prospects that you say, you know what, we'll take this guy, you can have Tyler O'Neill. good luck, see if you can make it work, and we'll see if we can develop this prospect up through our system and get him up to the major leagues as soon as possible.
3: Somebody says, BK, you guys should talk about the possibility of trading him for Steven Strasburg. That would be a high-upside uh, high-risk type of proposition. I'm not interested. Hey, is it Steven Strasburg like, doesn't pitch. When he does, he gets hurt immediately upon his return to the big leagues. And he's on a deal that pays him $35 million per year over the next three seasons. That is not something at all that I would be interested in taking on. Now, there's guys that profile similarly with the White Sox that maybe you could go out there and get because they're actually pitching currently and don't cost you $35 million guaranteed each of the next three seasons after this year. But... That specific option is not one that I would be particularly interested in. I, I would be curious to see what they can actually get out of him. I, I, I'm not opposed to trading him for a reliever. I know that sounds like a terrible use of assets. Terrible. Because you're giving up a potential starting level outfielder for a guy that's just going to be a reliever for you. However, like if I told you right now you're trading Tyler O'Neill for a guy that will be for the Cardinals what Giovanni Gallegos has been for the Cardinals. I don't know that Tyler O'Neal is ever going to be a good player again. My bet would be, at least here in St. Louis, that he's not. He's got one year left of control after this season. I would be legitimately shocked if he plays that contract out here in St. Louis. If you told me right now they could get the next geo for him, that's cost controlled, cheap, is going to be dominant coming out of the bullpen. I-, I might be willing to do that. You'd probably throw in another like lower level lottery ticket type of a prospect in a trade like that. I don't necessarily see that as being a terrible game plan for the Cardinals. I could see where they would come out saying this is probably our best option for him, as opposed to a low-level starter, a guy like a Zach Plesac. I would rather have the high upside reliever than the low-level starter.
2: I, I
4: agree with you. I, I, I do like the idea of getting a reliever form because we, we've seen this team can identify Pitching talent when they're making deals, and I mean, again, I know most of the deals they've made in the recent years have been starters, but like Stratton's been really good, and they got him in the deal for Jose Quintana last year, so I'm not opposed to it. And also, the fact of the matter that. One, maybe you can replace somebody in the bullpen, or you send them down to Triple A Memphis if it's a guy that's got options and you can continue the rotating cast of characters in the bullpen, but also like Jordan Hicks, free agent at the end of the year. Chris Stratton, free agent at the end of the year. Like there are pieces that are going to be leaving potentially leaving this bullpen in free agency next year and also taking a low level uh kind of flyer prospect. I mean, it's what they did in the Matt Adams deal. They got Juan Yepes in the deal, and Yepes yep. has developed into a guy that's on the major league roster. Right now, and maybe he doesn't have a high ceiling, but he's a Major League Baseball player, so the, the tr- trade worked out for him, and, and I will say this too. If Tyler O'Neill goes on to blossom elsewhere, say he gets dealt to Cleveland, who we've been using as the example here, I'm not going to blast the Cardinals for him not working out in St. Louis. I think they need to figure out why it didn't work out with Tyler O'Neill, so they can use that for future, example, for our future players, but I'm not going to blast them because... It's not like the Adultus Garcia uh, route where he had 17 plate appearances in St. Louis. It's not like the reindeer rose Rain where he got 23 plate appearances. That was a lack of not giving those guys an opportunity to thrive here in St. Louis. Tyler O'Neill's had his opportunity and he has yet to thrive here. Except that one year he's had 14 over 1400 plate appearances for whatever reason, it's not going to work here in St. Louis. You got to figure out why that reason is and take that into kind of learning, but If he goes on to have success elsewhere, I'm not really going to blame the Cardinals because for whatever reason, he just could not make it work here in St. Louis. And maybe it was the pressure of the market and playing for a winning contending team.
3: Something that could be similar to this is what they did in 2011. Now, I'm not comparing this team to the 2011 Cardinals. I'm not. But just if you're looking at an outfielder that has clearly worn out his welcome here in St. Louis, they have had such a situation before for different reasons. And this goes back to 2011 when they ended up trading that year Colby Rasmus, and in return, along with a couple of their other deals, but they were able to get Octavio Dotel, uh, Zipchensky. They ended up getting Edward Jackson out of that deal as well, and so they basically reconfigured both their bullpen and their starting rotation by trading away a guy that they no longer wanted. So if you're looking for kind of the formula, the the blueprint for what this could potentially look like, and it might include more than just Colby Rasmus, or in this case, Tyler O'Neill. They also included a few relievers in that scenario as well that's the kind of thing that maybe you could see the cardinals do to improve their team both in the short term and the long term. That's the way that you do it. Coming up next 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and it. Grand Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. 314 9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Alex out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. had some family obligations for today. But right now it is time for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. All right, guys, let's start out with this one. More likely to happen. Matthew Liberator stays in the rotation the rest of this season or... Steven Matz becomes one of the Cardinals high leverage relievers
4: by the end of the year. Mm. I'm going to say more likely Libertor stays in the rotation. Um, I could see where Matt's could, if he got moved to the bowl, could, be, could become a high leverage arm. But I, I I think Libertor would be the guy that could stay in the rotation all year because I, if he has swing and miss stuff and that's what I'm expecting hopefully tonight as we see some swing and stuff from libertor this rotation desperately needs that like mike was going through that outing in, on sunday night baseball without a strikeout like hey congrats man but let's be honest not sustainable for success with no strikeouts in modern baseball so i'm going to say more likely we see libertor remain in the rotation for the entire year. I, I think that's definitely more possible.
0: This kind of goes hand in hand, right? Like if Libertor comes up Good. and takes Matt's spot, like Matt's moves to the bullpen, I've I feel like another the, scenario that I'll present. that's a perfect situation right there.
3: Um, I I think it's more likely that Steven Matz becomes a high leverage reliever. And here's why. I think the Cardinals eventually trade for a starter. And when that happens, I think it pushes Matthew Libertor back down to the minors. And so the spot that he would fill would end up becoming backfilled by that uh, relief or by that trade option. I think there's a chance that Matthew, or excuse me, Stephen Matson's up in the you know, Andre polante rule. Pallante's been really good since he's come back to the big leagues. He's got a one-seven ERA in four appearances. He's been going a little bit longer for most of these appearances. He's got five out, five outs in a couple of them. Basically, other than the one home run that he gave up against Chicago, he's been excellent in, in these opportunities, and he's a guy that does get some high leverage opportunities, so I could see them going to Steven Matz in those spots because he's specifically in there to get lefties out the way that Andre Palante is right now, so I would say it's more likely that on that Steven Matz ends up as a high leverage reliever. T-Bone, what do you got for more likely to happen, my friend?
4: More likely to happen next year on opening day in the outfield is Brendan Donovan, Lars Newbar, and Tommy Edmund, or more likely to happen that we see Tommy Edmond or Brendan Donovan moved in the offseason.
3: The latter. I would be surprised if they have Tommy Edmond as an opening day outfielder for this team next year. I think that is a worst case scenario. The only way that I could see them doing that is if they've got legitimate injuries. Like I think their expectation and full belief is that Jordan Walker will be one of those starting outfielders going into next year. And I think Newbar is going to be one of those starting outfielders next year. I think Donovan is well above Edmond on the outfield uh, pecking order. So I'd be shocked if that scenario ends up taking place. I think it is much more likely that they end up trading either Edmund or Donovan. I think Edmund is the more likely of the two.
4: All right. Let's have a moment of honesty here in our circle of trust totally forgot about Jordan Walker when yeah. I came up with that. Let me rephrase. It's like me asking
3: earlier today with uh, John Ditton, hey, which of the guys on the 40-man do you think that will, or who do you think they'll add to the 40-man roster if they were to take uh, Dylan Carlson and put him on the IL? So the only outfielder that they have available right now is, is, Gomez. is Gomez. and He's like, well, they do have Jordan Walker. Like, okay, uh, yeah. That guy. <laughs> so let
4: me let me rephrase my question. More sure. likely to happen post-deadline. Tommy Ebbin or Brendan Donovan is traded for a starting pitcher or both are starting every day in the outfield
3: yeah more likely still again more likely that they end up being one of them is traded i don't think that's going to happen but i don't think there's any scenario in which the cardinals want to put tommy edmund as an everyday outfielder i'd I'd be really really surprised by that
4: i I kind of agree with you but i I think it's more likely that those two would be in the outfield I, i this outfield's a mess and Carlson's not hitting and I know everybody goes oh well, he's been great since he's been already put he said like 210 can I like, ask a
3: follow-up on that yeah and I would be genuinely be curious for the explanation on the text line three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line I'm not saying this is a bad thing I think every player should have this kind of grace and this kind of extended opportunity where we're not super critical of them at every turn but why is it that Dylan Carlson seems to get a pass because anytime that Carlson has a good game our entire text line blows up saying that's why you have to start him every day but Carlson right now is batting 230 he's getting on base 28 percent of the time and he has an OPS of 628 if Harrison Bader did that he would be roundly criticized for the way that he was performing I mean we're seeing basically those exact same numbers this year from Tyler O'Neill and everybody is ready to trade him Brendan Donovan has been struggling a bit. People were frustrated by it, but he's been better this year as a hitter than Dylan Carlson. People I think are mostly out on Alec Burleson right now. Again, better offensively this year so far than Dylan Carlson. It's just kind of surprising to me that Carlson gets a pass when any other player that performs this way would be Criticized in a significant way. Is it because of the defense? Like, is it because he's quiet? I, I'm, I'm I, genuinely. I,
4: I think it's twofold. I, I think it's one, he's quiet. What you said, he's not like really an outspoken player, and he doesn't have a kind of what would you call it, swagger to him. He's just kind of, I'm going to go out there, and I'm, he's kind of like Goldie, but without you know the bad talent. um Where it's just, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to do my job, and then if I have to speak to the media, I will. He's not really outspoken. He doesn't have any sort of swagger to him. And and I I don't think Bader was like ever really that outspoken that upset the fan base. I think anyways, it was his with loud uh,
3: personality on yeah, the field. Yeah,
4: exactly. I, he played with like a swagger to him. And I think that rubs some people the wrong way because, you know, there's still that old school kind of fan base here in St. Louis of, hey, no, do your job, go out there, and we don't need any of that swagger stuff. Although I think that's starting to change with the St. Louis Cardinals. I think that's part of it. I think Carl's good defensively. People love that in center field. And he doesn't really talk he's just kind of quiet goes out there does his job I, I think that's why somebody on the text
3: line said guys it's because he's very young,
4: I mean, Harrison, really Bader, baseball young.
3: Harrison Bader when he came up to the big leagues was 23 and that's said, next season was his first year in the big leagues as an everyday player he was 24 years old and put up a 755 OPS the next year was his horrible year offensively with the cardinals he was at a 680 which is exactly where dylan carlson was last year and would be 50 points better than what dylan carlson has been so far this year dylan carlson is checks snotes turning 25 at the end of this season like i i just don't understand and somebody else brought up the fact that he's a really good defensive center fielder yeah so was harrison bader bader was a better defensive Bader's center better. fielder than dylan carlson has been and again I say this as somebody that's not saying you should be more critical of Carlson. I just think we should give more grace to all of these guys, a little bit more, more runway for all of these guys And now is probably the time when we should be starting to be a little bit more critical of Carlson because he has, you know, 1100 at bats in the big leagues at this point. I'm not saying that he can't get better. I think he will. I think he will become a better player at some point, but it's starting to become a spot where he needs to perform And I'm not seeing the same urgency to replace him or to have him as not an everyday player as there has been with other guys. All right, Grant, what do you have for us in more likely to happen?
0: Yeah, we can kind of stick with that conversation, too, because when you guys were talking about the Tyler O'Neill trade situation in the last segment, it sparked my interest on this. Do you think it's more likely to happen that Tyler O'Neill is traded or Dylan Carlson is traded just because of the trade value situation where obviously Dylan Carlson would have more trade value at this point than Tyler O'Neill? So for the Cardinals' interest in a return, would you think it'd be more likely for Carlson or O'Neill to get traded?
4: I, I think the first, I think it's more likely O'Neill, um, just because what John Denton said, and I think we've been able to read the tea leaves on this. Tyler O'Neill's frustrated with the St. Louis Cardinals. Saint Louis Cardinals are frustrated with Tyler O'Neill. And he does have I, I've said this before and I believe this to be true. I think he's gonna be in the major leagues for a really long time, probably ten years. Because he's going to live off of what happened in 2021. Everybody's going to see that and go, man, if he can do it once, we can get him to repeat it. And then he's going to disappoint. He'll be moved somewhere else. And they'll go, you know what? 2021, we can get him to do that again. So I I think it's more likely that O'Neill is the first one traded. I I wouldn't be shocked if Carlson ends up being dealt as well. Maybe not at the deadline this year. Maybe it's in the offseason while the value is still high. But unlike BK, who you just said, you know, no, no, I'm just, you just said it. So I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to point to it. BK just said he thinks that Carlson's can still get better. I'm losing that faith. I I think at this point, like I could buy last year. The risk was the reason he struggled. But the fact matter that I haven't seen improvements, he's got over 1,100 plate appearances in the big leagues. Yeah, I I'm sorry, but you're losing my faith. And at this point, I'd rather sell low and, or excuse me, sell high than wait too long like on O'Neal and sell low. I think it's more likely
3: that they end up trading Tyler O'Neal. But I think there's a scenario, as T-Bone said, where they trade both. I think O'Neal is the more urgent one. I think they're trying to open up that roster spot. And so that could happen within the next two weeks. And I don't think anybody should be shocked by it. Dylan Carlson would be something that I think if it happens, it happens closer to the trade deadline. Agreed. Like He could be a chip genuinely that gets you or is the start of a package that gets you a, a pretty solid starter that can be in a playoff rotation. Because if I'm a team that is out of contention and you're offering me For all of our questions about Carlson, a player that was at one point considered to be a top 20 prospect in the sport is a switch hitter can play defensively in center field and has the upside to hit, you know, 15 to 25 home runs a year, depending on if he realizes that. Yeah, that's a really nice piece to have in a package for somebody. And he's got a lot of cost control remaining on that entry level deal. So I think Carlson has real value on the trade market. I think O'Neill was one where they just want to free up that roster spot. So I think, possible both, I think the more likely one to be traded first is Tyler
4: O'Neill, And that's partly why like I think like a team like the White Sox, for example, make a ton of sense for the St. Louis Cardinals to acquire one of their pitchers because if, say, Cease figures it out and gets back to ace form and they do trade him, the White Sox are a team that probably doesn't want to rebuild because their owner's, uh, I think, in his early 80s or late 80s, and once a competitive team, they're more likely to try and quickly retool on the fly, and the way you might be able to do that is give them major league-ready talent, so Carlson would be a piece involved in that, as you said, a former top prospect that has the upside of 20 home runs, plays great defensive center field, and also maybe you attach one of your middle infielders with them as well, because they got a log jam there, and I'm not saying Gorman or DeYoung, I'm saying like Tommy Edmund, for example, or Brendan Donovan, for example, those guys are going to be in a hot commodity at the deadline.
3: Who do you think ends up getting traded first? Grant? <clears> hmm. <throat> Your question, I'm gonna throw yeah. it back at you.
0: See, I kind of think Dylan Carlson might be the first to go, just because if the Cardinals want to get that starting pitcher, a, a good starting pitcher back in return, they're not going to get that for Tyler O'Neill. So if that becomes, you know, as the season goes on, even more and more of an importance for the Cardinals, then they might be willing to part with Dylan Carlson in a faster way, just to get some help on the on the pitching staff back.
3: Coming up next, can Matthew Liberatore actually earn a spot in the Cardinals rotation, or is this just a one-off? We'll talk about it next year on
1: 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. We do have some breaking news from the St. Louis Cardinals. It's not huge news yet, but I do think it it signifies what we all kind of expected to be coming. The Cardinals are calling up outfielder Oscar Mercado. Now, this is going to require them to make a 40-man roster move. My assumption, and this is just a guess right now, the Cardinals have not yet announced this, but my guess is. The Cardinals will end up DFAing James Nail today. They have done that already previously. I don't think anybody else is going to be claiming James Nail. So they'll just send him back down to the Memphis Redbirds once he clears waivers. And then they will put Dylan Carlson on the injured list. So those will probably be the two moves that allow them to A, call up Matthew Libertor, and B, make this call up with Oscar Mercado. Now, on the Mercado side of things, You may remember him. Previously, he was one of the Cardinals' top prospects. He did get some everyday opportunities with the Cleveland Guardians previously. He's not a good hitter. Uh, He had one solid season in the big leagues. That happened in 2019. This is kind of a uh, Tyler O'Neill Dylan Carlson situation. Ever since then, he's been pretty bad offensively in the big leagues. But in the minors this year, he's doing pretty well for the Memphis Redbirds. And he's a guy that's really going to play a solid center field for you. I know this sounds strange because you just called him up. He is a 28-year-old who is a 4A player, but I would probably start him every day for the foreseeable future. And the reason why is because defensively, I think he gives you your best outfield alignment with Newt Bar in right and probably Brendan Donovan in left, and it means that you're basically replacing one of Alec Burleson or Juan Yepes in your lineup on a day-to-day basis, neither of whom have done anything to convince you that they're going to be this massive game changer for you offensively. So I don't think it's a massive step down offensively, and I think it is a huge upgrade with your outfield defense. I think he can basically be for you what everybody has seen Dylan Carlson be as a center fielder. Dylan Carlson has not hit. I would not expect Oscar Mercado to hit at a higher level. Probably pretty similar to the production that you've got so far from Dylan Carlson.
4: Yeah, he, he makes sense to be putting him out there every day because then you have a pretty good defensive alignment. You'd have Donovan in left, Newpar in right, Mercado in center field. And as you said, like, worst case scenario, you're just going to have a guy that's hitting their eighth, ninth, and would basically take what the role of Kisner was when he was starting catcher without the bat, where... You know he's going to be out there, he gets three at-bats, maybe you get a hit, and if not, you pinch it for him late and you can make the adjustments that you need to. And it gives you, I think, your best defensive alignment because now you've got three really solid outfielders defensively. You don't have to worry about putting Burleson or Yepes out there on an everyday occurrence because they're just not good enough defensively. And then you got an infield that would be solid because you'd have Edmund or Gorman splitting time at second with Young at short and Arnato and Goldie. On the corner, so I, I like the move, and I think some people may have looked at look at this and said, "Hey, if Carlson's going on the IL, why not call up Jordan Walker again? Bring him up here. There's never any opportunity. What we're talking about here. I, I don't think you call him up one because. I don't think they... Really, the only reason... I don't think they want him up here right now. I think they're still working on him hitting the ball in the air. And I think that's the number one reason why they're just going to keep him down in AAA. Also, he's batting 213 with no power. Yeah. <laughs> like, so This is not the time to call Jordan Walker up. He, he's clearly working on stuff down in AAA. And as you said, Mercado's been playing really well down there. And, and Gomez is getting hot as well. I think I saw he homered again. But he's just not good defensively. And when you lose one of your best defensive players, you need to replace him with another good defensive player. You don't need... Three guys on this roster that are outfielders that are below average in Burleson, uh, Yepes, and Gomez if you brought him up. So it makes all the sense in the world. And I, and I can see where they would end up just DFAing Nail because, look, he hadn't been that effective. It's clear th- that I, I don't think he has a future here in St. Louis. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think he does. And it's just the easiest move to make. It's just DFA James Nail and put Mercado on there. They could DFA for me if they wanted to, but I, I don't think they'll do that. I, I think it's going to be nailed. At least it's just not on his birthday this time.
3: Yeah. I, I think the what you do today is pretty simple. New is in right field. I think Mercado is your uh, center fielder today. I think you put uh, Brendan Donovan in left. That's your outfield configuration. And then I think you put Gorman at DH and I think you put Edmund at second base and now you've just got your best defensive alignment available to you today. It's Corbin Burns. You're expecting runs to be at a premium in a game like this. Put your best defense out there behind Matthew Libertor. Give him a real opportunity to be able to show you what he's got available. I know his swing and miss stuff has been better this season, but there are going to be balls that are put in play, and this allows you to give yourself the best chance to have that quality defense behind your starting pitcher. I like it. I think this is a really smart move. I will say this. I think the Cardinals have been operating like a real major league team over the last week it or so. It took a while, but we got there. It's Yesterday, I liked the way that they were able to get creative with their lineup. With Dylan Carlson being out against a left-handed starter, it required some creativity and that creativity put Tommy Edman in right field. That was your best lineup when it came to offense. Yeah, it's weird having Edman in the outfield. He hadn't done that since 2021, but he can do it. He was fine last night out there. He wasn't a liability by any stretch. It's not something I would want to do regularly, but given their roster limitations with Carlson being hurt, it was something that I felt was smart to do at that point in time. I think the way that they are handling their roster right now, is pretty smart, all things considered. It's weird that they have three catchers. However, If they're going to utilize Wilson Contreras as a DH against left-handed pitching to give yourself the best offensive lineup while also maintaining your defensive flexibility with Kisner behind the plate, you kind of need that third catcher. And let's be honest, guys, who are you pinch hitting for in this lineup right now? There's not a ton of opportunities to do that. And so even if you did have that extra bat coming off of the bench, it's not as if they're like completely emptying the bench in most of these games anyways. So while it is kind of a burn of a roster spot, in my opinion, it's less horrible compared to what they were doing previously when they had your boy, Taylor Motter, on the roster. That guy was here for no reason other than man, to hold that
4: spot. Man, you don't got to throw him under the bus like that. I, I, I do have an issue with the carrying three catches, but I understand what you're saying. I, I just I don't like it. I, I personally don't. But I agree. They're, they are operating more like a... Big league team now, and they're not having a bunch of like outfielders out there that can't play defense. Like, if they had Burleson and Yepes out there at the same time, oh, buddy, would we have an issue with the outfield defense? And also, too, like, it makes sense what they wanted to do with Libertor, what John Denton told us earlier, because I know we've talked about it since I think the road trip, the West Coast swing, was why not call him up here to make a start and then. You can send down Woodford and have him make one start, and then when Wayno comes back, you just send him. They want him to get consistency going through with the reps in AAA, which makes sense. Have him working on his stuff down there, have him constantly doing it. And if you bring him up here, it's kind of like a position player. You want him up here for maybe not like a long time, but like three starts potentially for Matthew Libertor, two starts, get to sit through with Adam Wainwright meetings and stuff like that. So it, it all makes sense, and... I, to your point, like, yeah, now they don't really have a guy burning a spot. I I, I view Barrera as burning a spot. I'd much rather it, have a fair. bat. But I, I can understand what they're doing because if you are going to do where you think Kisner is your best offensive option with Contreras at DH right now and that's how you think you get the best offensive lineup against left-handed pitching – When you go to a righty late in the game, you can have a guy like Alec Burleson that's on the bench that can pinch hit, and then rather than losing the DH spot, you can just put in another catcher.
3: I would personally like to see them, instead of having Barrera—like, if I was going to nitpick with their roster right now, the way that they've constructed it, I would— remove jose Fermin from the 40 man (laughs) i don't know why he's still there honestly and i would add lucan baker who has been absolutely mashing down in the minors and he should never see the field for you he's either your dh and let's be honest that's probably not going to happen given the way that this this lineup is constructed the more likely scenario is he's going to come up off of the bench as a pinch hitter late in a game to give you a quality at bat so that would be the one nitpick that i would have for it but uh, given the way that I have had real questions about their roster management for the vast majority of the season, uh, right now, them operating like a real major league team that is trying to win on a day-to-day basis, them having the urgency to get Matthew Libertor as a part of a six-man rotation, which is something that... In previous years, let's be honest, guys, this team wouldn't have done like they, they just wouldn't have been willing to take that one step forward into a modern approach to pitching and getting these guys a little bit of extra rest. I think they're kind of operating the way that they did last year. Now, it looks like Ollie Marmel is managing the way that he did last year now. It was a weird ass way to get here, but we have finally arrived with the Cardinals operating as a real major league ball club. So uh, that's that's a positive. And today, like we mentioned, Matthew Liberator is getting the start for the Cardinals. It'll be really interesting to see how he how he does in this game. You're going up against a team that struggles mightily against left handed pitchers. I think he's got a real opportunity and T-Bone. I think we agree on this to be able to capture that spot in the rotation It will depend entirely upon his performance. If he's good and he pitches well today, I think he gets another start. And if he's good in that one, he probably gets a third. And if he's good in all three, I think there's a chance that he ends up replacing Steven Matz as one of the starters in this five-man rotation.
4: Yeah, I I think he's got a legitimate shot to do it. And he provides what this rotation's been missing, in that swing and miss stuff. If he pitches well tonight, it's probably because he's racking up strikeouts and not pitching into contact and running into kind of... Uh, pitchers' luck in terms of getting balls hit right to guys. I I think if he pitches well tonight, it's because he's striking guys out. And this rotation desperately needs that. So I I think if he gets two, three starts here during the six-man rotation and pitches well, I think they're going to look at it and go, okay, now what did Stephen Matz do while we were doing the six-man rotation? Was he what he was before his previous two outings where he's been good, he's been fine, and... If there's more there to Matthew Libertor with the swing and miss stuff, I, I think they will move Stephen Matts Matz to the bullpen. I I think you almost have to because I, I think right now with the way the rotation's been pitching, it's clear and obvious it is the biggest weakness on this Cardinals team. And right. If Libertor provides something there, I think you got to keep him in that spot.
3: Final thing here, and then we'll get to the junk drawer on the other side. Uh, from the six three six BK, I think it's insane that you want to call up Luke and Baker to pinch hit maybe once a game. Thank God that you're not the one that is running the team. First of all, I would be horrible as a general manager. I would be over budget. We would sign all the flashy, exciting young players to long term extensions, and you'd have Tyler O'Neill locked in on a long term extension. Oh it would be horrible. Goodness. Now we would also have a bunch of fun players on the team, but they would be old, expensive, and overrated by the time that they were done playing for the Cardinals. So that would go, that would go terribly, absolutely horribly for the St. Louis Cardinal. That being said, I actually disagree on this specific instance. I think sometimes what we do as fans is we expect that everybody has to be an everyday player and anybody that is performing well at the minor league level will continue performing well once they get up to the majors. And that's not how this works. Luke and Baker is almost certainly never going to be an everyday player in the big leagues. And that's OK. There is nothing wrong with understanding the limitations of players. Luke and Baker is 26 years old. He is a guy that prior to this season was about an average hitter in the minors and given his age, when he got into the minor leagues for the Cardinals, probably actually a below average hitter in the minors. You're trying to catch lightning in a bottle. That's what you would be doing by calling him up to the big leagues. There's nothing wrong with understanding who he is, understanding his limitations and putting him into a position to succeed. Some guys are going to forever be bench players, I think Juan Yepes for the Cardinals while he's in this organization, that is a guy that is going to be here for pinch-hitting opportunities. I think Alec Burleson is a fourth outfielder for you for the foreseeable future. Again, there is real value in having those spots tied in to young players on rookie-level contracts that are very cheap. It allows you to spend that money in places where you need it. Instead of having to go sign a 5 to 7000000 million dollar million-a-year bench bat, like they did with Corey Dickerson, Instead, you've got a guy making a million dollars for the next three years in Alec Burleson. Man, that's a better use of your resources to put that $5 million towards a bullpen arm in the offseason or something like that because this is a team that operates under a budget. So I think the same could be true for a guy like Luke and Baker. That's why I said that. That's where I think his future is for the Cardinals. If he has a future with the Cardinals, it's as a pinch hitter late in games.
4: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that, as you said. And Mo has even said this in the past. You know, it's hard to bring in veterans to be on a team – to serve in a bench role. A lot of veterans don't really want to do it. So what do you got to do? You got to develop those guys internally. And looking at Luke and Baker, it's okay to say he's not going to be an everyday player for the Cardinals. I and Maybe there's an organization that you could look at and say, well, he would be an everyday player there. Okay, yeah, but he's on a contending team right mm-hmm. now, and Paul Goldschmidt's at first base. And I've seen Luke and Baker play. Not great defensively. <laughs> You're not going to put him anywhere else. So it's okay to have him serve as a right-handed right-handed bench bat and he can make a good living doing that he could be in the organization for six years and go be a free agent afterwards and make good money if he can put together a good career coming off the bench players get paid for being bench players if they do it really well yeah i just
3: i think sometimes we have to admit what players are and what they're not and not ask them to be more than what they are and somebody said you don't have a guy sit five days and then hopefully come up in a big spot and mash it's what he's gonna have to be if he's going to if he's going to fill a role in the big leagues, he's got to understand that that's probably going to be his role. And I think if you ask Luke and Baker, "Hey, would you rather sit 5 days in a major league dugout, a week, and then play twice a week and it's probably for like a total of 3 plate appearances?" In that week or sit down in Memphis and continue mashing for the Memphis Redbirds. Which would you prefer? He'd say Give me that paycheck. Yeah. Ask
4: Taylor Botter. That guy Looked like he yeah. was living his best life when he was up G- here Give me never that played. major
3: league paycheck. I'll, I'll Sleep in the Ritz-Carlton's. I'll have The big league food. Mm. Like yeah G- Give me all of that that comes With the big league life as opposed to staying down in the minors even if that means playing every single day and mashing 35 home runs this year for the memphis redbirds i promise you he would take the alternative of being up here in the big leagues the junk drawer is coming up next you're on 101 espn
1: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario Brought to you by
6: Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week.
3: Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, did you know that Taco Tuesday is actually a trademark? Somebody has trademarked the title Taco Tuesday. Do you know who has that?
4: It's Taco Bell, right? Nope. LeBron James? No,
3: it's not LeBron. Shockingly enough, Taco John's has the trademark for Taco Tuesday. I didn't know you could trademark such a thing. You never heard of Taco John's? No. Do they have Taco John's here in St. Louis? I don't think
0: I've ever seen one. Yeah.
3: Ryder, can you hear us right now? Do you know if they have Taco John's here in St. Louis? Is that a thing here? Okay. It, it's a thing in Kansas City. It's it's like Taco Bell, but like a original um, as a chain. Taco Bell, however, is seeking permission to use Taco Tuesday in their branding and advertising. Guys, I feel like certain things you shouldn't be able to trademark. I don't know how you would make this a law, but Taco Tuesday is so in the lexicon that I don't even think you should be able to um, to have this as part of like a quote-unquote trademark any longer. I know that Taco John's technically has use of this. They're the ones that has branded it. Man, LeBron James is on his Instagram every Tuesday screaming Taco Tuesday! And I, I'm supposed to attribute that to Taco John's? Yeah, they should, Nobody you're actually right, does they that. should sue LeBron. They'd get yeah. a lot of money.
4: Oh, you're right. They should be going after LeBron James's wallet. I, I mean, I kind of side with you, though. I I didn't even know it was trademark. I, I saw this headline issue. I, I didn't even read the story. I was just like, oh, hey, Taco Bell's going to trademark it. Cool. Yeah. I didn't even realize Taco John, one was even A, a thing, and B, <laughs> had the trademark. So I, I kind of, I support your notion there. I think Taco Tuesday should be one of those that uh, shouldn't be trademarked. Apparently,
3: Taco John's trademarked Taco Tuesday, T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. Tanner, do you know which one that is? <laughs> Say that again. Taco Tuesday, T.W.O. That version of the the number Tuesday. There you go. Uh, In the 1980s to increase sales with 99 cent deals for two tacos on what was previously their slowest day of the week. It worked. Sales turned around the restaurant so much that the owner ended up sharing it with other franchise owners. So that's the history of where we got the Taco Tuesday. But at that point, it was a little bit different in terms of the
4: branding. Couldn't you technically then trademark? Taco Tuesday, but spelled Tuesday the right I way. I think they've got both. I think they've
3: got it uh, okay. under like any version of Taco Tuesday is oh, Taco the, Johns. They took all the that's all way to go. Yep, that's all of them. Um, I hate those guys. Somebody on the text slide, yeah, says Taco Johns had that slogan since I was in college more than 40 years ago. Um Taco Johns apparently did go after LeBron James. Oh,
4: I had no yeah. idea.
0: <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, they should be doing just fine then.
4: Yeah. They they may never have to come up with another catchy slogan ever again. You said they're based out of Kansas City. No, I don't think they're based out oh, of Kansas okay.
3: City. They just have them there. Um, they, they I think they've got them all over. I didn't realize that they have zero in the St. Louis area specifically. Somebody on the text line said they've got it in Cape, so I guess that's the closest one. Um, there used to be one in O'Fallon and Festus, according to the text line as well. It's nothing to write home about. Like I've got no problems. With taco Johns are fine, but it's, I mean, it's a fast food taco joint. Yeah.
4: So. I better trademark T Bone Three. It's gonna be trending soon, and when it does, like when LeBron starts going, it's a Thursday T Bone Three. Do you think I T-bone could trademark three. the BKO? Is that something that I could? Get it done? happens
0: enough that probably yeah yeah. yeah. You, you might have a real put a case on yeah that.
4: yeah. You Alex should...
3: you better get on it. Ferrario 5. Yeah, there's got to be something else. T- the tin
4: foil. Yeah, but I like tin foil theories have been going on for decades. I don't, yeah, but I, don't I think he could... got that one.
3: I think he could go ahead and take over that thing. I think that's that's probably something he could do. I I feel like the terrible takes is something you should trademark. For you? What? No. For you? For me? The T Bone's terrible takes. I, I think no. we should we should trademark that. We should include it more often I've had in the a show.
4: Terrible taking a long time. Yeah, it's been a while.
3: Yesterday you said that with Aaron Gordon is going to be the reason why the Nuggets win this series and why he's like. The game changer for the Nuggets in comparison to the Philadelphia 76ers. He was played off of the court yesterday. He can't play in this series against the Lakers. He's not good enough. That was terrible take. That was not it. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll get to some NFL quick hitters, including a quarterback who says that he's keeping his teammates in mind as he goes through some contract extension or contract negotiations. I'm calling BS. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next. Are you willing to make a big move up in this year's NHL draft for the Blues? Grant will tell you why not. I will tell you why you gotta do it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We are right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: We are just 42 days away from the NHL draft and alongside just 42. Yeah, it feels like alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're gonna be talking a lot about it over the next month or so. Uh as we get closer and closer, the Blues, of course, have the tenth overall pick. They will also be selecting 25th. And then unfortunately, because Dallas has advanced to the Western Conference final. Uh, They will either be 29, 30, 31, or 32 for that pick. So you'll have one of the bottom four picks in the first round from that Dallas pick that you ended up getting. I am very curious to see what the Blues decide to do. Now, we know one thing. They are not trading down for number 10. They are not trading that pick for another veteran player unless something crazy that is completely unforeseen right now is is presented to them. Doug Armstrong has made that abundantly clear. He's going to pick a blue chipper, and he wants that guy to be with that top 10 pick that they earned this year with their losses. I do think it's possible they end up trading up, though, and I do think it's possible that they use one of those lower first-round picks to trade for a player, a veteran player right now. Grant, you are a resident NHL expert. You are the guy that has paid attention. I'm sure you've been grinding the film on all these prospects that are coming into this year's NHL draft. So I wanted to ask you about the possibility of moving up in this year's draft. There are really two guys that everybody thinks are like generational players in this year's draft. It's uh, Connor Bedard and then Fantilli from Michigan as well. Those are the two guys that are expected to go one, two, and then it becomes a little bit more clustered after that. The guy that would go three if he was eligible to come to the nhl this year is probably mikov the player that is coming over from russia but is not eligible to do so for the next three years because of his contract with the khl is what the athletic wrote about him earlier today quote without question or hesitation he is the best prospect i have ever ranked at number three in advance of any nhl draft that i've covered To me, he's the best Russian prospect since I scouted Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin back in 2004. Again, that comes from The Athletic. He scored 20 points in the KHL over 27 games this year, which is the most by a first-time draft-eligible prospect in league history. It is a points-per-game rate that actually improves upon what we saw from Artemi Panarin, Vladimir Tarasenko, or Kirill Kaprizov when when they were in the KHL at the same age. He also owns the best 17-year-old season in Russian Junior League history, and he has done it on the international stage, too, with one of the best age 16 performances that we have ever seen at the U18 World Championships back in 2021. All of that is to say, this guy's special. His skills are top-notch. He's a goal scorer. He I was watching some film on him earlier today that they had on The Athletic. I've watched a solid two minutes of him now. In terms of what he's able to do on the ice, his edge skills are amazing. He is a distributor. He's able to play from behind the net. He's impressive. If I told you right now the Blues represented an opportunity to move up from number 10 to, let's say, number four with San Jose, but it would require them to use both of their later first round picks in order to do so. So you only have one first round pick instead of three. Would you do
0: that? It sounds sexy, and Mikov is obviously a huge talent, and he's going to be great in the KHL for the next three seasons. That's one of the biggest problems is that he's going to be in Russia until I believe it's 2026, Mm -hmm. and that's not likely to change. So there's a problem there. For that reason, it feels like a team that is a lot worse than the Blues, like the Ducks. Like, you know, one of those teams in the four, five, six range, the Sharks. It makes sense for them to go out and grab a player like Arizona that. Arizona makes exactly. all the sense in the world they're for a team that doesn't even know what they're going to be playing. They may <laughs> not even be in the same city. So it makes more sense for a team like that to go out and pick up Mikov. For the Blues, it comes down to risk. Because if you want to go out and get Mikov, that's fine. But look what you've done in the later half of the first round since 2014. Like... At 23 last year, you drafted Jimmy Snuggerud, and now he's one of the top prospects from that draft. Zachary Bolduc at 17, and he's a top prospect for the Blues. Jake Neighbors at 26, Robert Thomas at 20, Tage Thompson at 26. What'd that guy ever do? Yeah. Robbie Fabry at 21, which he didn't pan out, but, you know, he's a good player. Exactly. And then in the second round, you've drafted players like Ivan Barbashev, Jordan Kairou, Vince Dunn. Like, out of those players I just mentioned, you have four Stanley Cup champions. So, You look at it like that, and if you're going to reduce your number of draft picks in the best draft in a long time from three to one and put all your eggs into one basket with Mikov, a player who won't even be here for three years, versus you could draft three players, and if you do that, the chances of one of them hitting and becoming huge is pretty likely with the skill the Blues have in drafting in the first round. That's sort of where I'm at with this. I think it's too risky to put all the eggs into one basket with Mikov Rather than just pick three players, and you're probably going to get a huge talent at least out of one of them. One of
4: my uh, T-bone rules of life is never trade up in a draft. Oh, Man, get out fits of here for the St. Louis Blues. I, I would not trade up to get Mikoff, even if it was to that four spot that you were talking about. I, I, I think to Grant's point, one if you do draft with all three picks in a deep draft, you have a better chance of hitting on one out of three rather than just the one of one. There's a chance you miss, and then you've burnt all those assets. Uh, but the other, the other thing for me too is. I don't think the Blues can accomplish what they want to this offseason by moving up in the draft. Because to the point, Mikoff is three years away because of his contract in the KHL. And if you do have to burn all of your draft picks to move up, I I think those two later picks, I think one can be used in a trade for one of those RFA's we've been talking about, like Ross Colton. Maybe you trade that, whatever it is. Maybe if you can get him with a second? Even then, I, I just don't want to burn the assets. I, I don't like moving up in drafts. I really don't. It's just one of my philosophies. It's like Army doesn't like hand out no movement clauses. I don't like moving up in the draft. So I I, I think burning those assets isn't worth the risk too of Mikov because there's so many other uncertainties with him, with Russia and the situation in the sure. international global market it's, and all that. But
3: it's risky. What I am proposing here is first of all, you're putting all of your eggs in a basket that will not like that's over. Seas. Yeah, it's overseas. And you can't really even like do anything to, to be around him for God only knows how long. Right. Because of everything that's taking place with Russia, with Ukraine. So th- that is a huge caveat in all of this discussion. But if I told you right now, he's going to be Kirill Kaprizov like that for some that appears to be a low end comparison. There are others that view him as being better than that. If I told you right now he's going to be Kapril Kaprizov from the moment that he steps on to American Ice and he's going to immediately be a legitimate top line contributor contributor for the St. Louis Blues. Does that change your perspective at all?
0: I don't think it does because, yes, while you'd love to have a talent like that, you don't know what it's going to look like in three seasons. You don't know what injuries could happen over the next three seasons, God forbid. I'm
3: locking it in. And there's no way to do this. It's impossible to know whether or not he's going to uh, like continue to develop. Wh- whatever. There, There's a lot of questions to your point there, Grant. But if I told you that there is a guarantee, it is written in stone, he will be the next Kirill Kaprizov in the NHL. Given that level of production, would you be willing to trade up? Because what I'm really asking is like, is that worth giving up three first-round picks for? To get the next Kirill Kaprizov. off? Right. I think I I could understand there's an argument that to say, like, no, because I think that you're going to get three Jimmy Snuggaroos. Or I think you're going to get a Robert Thomas, a Jimmy Snuggaroot. And um, I don't know, a, a second pairing defenseman that can play 20 minutes a night for you. That's it's possible with the way that they're drafting right now.
0: The players that I mentioned earlier that the Blues were able to draft were from worse drafts. If we had a situation where the Blues had these three draft picks in an average draft for any year, then yes, I'd say go ahead and take the risk. You still got that second round pick that you can, you know, get something out of. But in this situation, you have a draft where, I mean, players that are going in the later half of the first round are probably players that would be going in the top 10 in a normal season. So, given that, I think I'd rather press my luck with the three picks that I have than take a guy like Mikov and Even if you don't have a talent that turns into what is, you know, Mikov's potential, you still have three potentially really good players that you could build around going forward.
3: I don't think this will be the case, but given the— I'm curious your thoughts on this, T-Bone, as somebody that doesn't like moving up. Given the risk that is associated with Mikov, it's possible that a lot of teams are scared away. And so they say, you know what, we would rather trade down, accumulate assets, and get somebody that we think is a really good player at 10. If you were able to trade up, and let's say he's there at 6— and the Arizona Coyotes have no idea what their future looks like, so they're in full-on asset-building mode, right? He said, all right, we'll give you 10 and 25. We're keeping that late first-round pick. It's just the two picks that we're giving up to move up to number 6 overall. Does that change your perspective, or are you still on a firm no on that?
4: I- I'm still on a firm no. I-, I wouldn't give up the assets to move up. And I, I just think, too, like, even if he can become off, I mean, you're still talking three years, and— most of I these think, guys,
3: though, are at least two years away at a minimum.
4: That, that's fair, and, and I think what the Blues are going to look at, it though, is we can spend our 10th round pick on a guy that we think is going to be up in three years, and we're going to have our hands on him in developing him and doing it in our own due diligence, and then those other two picks can be used to help us in the now, because I I don't think the Blues have an appetite to wait three years, not on a prospect, but on three years of – hey, we're going to be back at being competitive in three years. I think the goal is the playoffs next year. and, and I But think whoever
3: you draft this year will not help that.
4: That's true, but those two later picks will. And, and what I mean by that is not by drafting. I think they're trading those two picks. I, I think they may, if they have to, this one I'm a little less optimistic about, but if they have to, they may attach a draft pick to a defenseman to ship them out. Or surprised. you can use one of those picks to go and acquire a Ross Colton, someone like that. So... I think those two draft picks can, that are in the later part of the first round can help with more of the now, and you take this in this deep draft. If Mikoff falls to 10, okay, perfect. I'd be surprised if he does. But if he does, then there you go. There you can select him with that 10th overall pick. If not, you can take somebody else that you think you can develop, that you have hands-on, that you can develop, and three years can help you in three years while also helping build in the current with those later two first-round picks.
3: I'm all about upside. And the upside in this draft is tied to three different players. Two that are going to be gone. They're going one-two. We all know it. The third is Mikov. And so if you have the potential to be able to go out there and get a guy that has legit 100-point production, that, that's in the range of outcomes for him. Most guys, it's not. For Mikov, it appears to be. I'd be willing to trade all three picks if that's what it took. I I think there's a scenario where it doesn't. I think there's a scenario where it ends up being just 25 that it takes to be able to move up forward, for example, to number 6. We've got like a 30 seconds here. Grant, does that change your perspective on it? Would you be willing to give up just one of those two picks to move up for Mikoff?
0: Maybe one of them, yes, but I would want a prospect kind of attached to that on the way back too. I, I think you have to get a little bit more something in return I think if the Blues were a different team that had really uh, some struggling offensive talent for instance the New York Islanders it makes a little bit of a difference because you need offense I don't think the Blues need a ton of offense right now they've got that they've got the 100 point potential uh, potential in Thomas and Cairo I don't think you need another one of those you need something else
3: coming up next we're getting to some NFL quick hitters. By the way, if I wasn't making this abundantly clear, go get Mikoff. Uh, all in for Mikoff. J- just go, go get that guy and figure out the rest later. Coming up next, Joe Burrow says he's got his teammates in the back of his mind during all of his contracts and negotiations with the Bengals. You buying that? We'll talk about it next year on
1: 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, whenever you have guys on the team that, that need to be paid, that's always on your mind. You want that to, to be a focal point, and so we're we're working to, to make that happen. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the voice of Joe Burrow, who says he's got his teammates in the back of his mind as he's going through contract negotiations with the Cincinnati Bengals. Guys, I'm calling BS. What? I think I can tell you right now what his contract's going to look like. It's going to be a little over $52 million. He's going to get more than $135 million in guaranteed money. Why is that? Well, because that's what Lamar Jackson just signed for. He's going to get more than Lamar. He's going to get more than Jalen Hurts. He's going to get more than Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how long it's going to be for. That may be something where he says, I've kept them in the back of my mind the way that Patrick Mahomes did in Kansas City. Mahomes got a 10-year deal because it increased the flexibility that the Chiefs had underneath the cap within that 10-year contract because then they could basically manipulate the cap with some conversions on bonuses it's a bunch of nerdy stuff but it allows the Chiefs to get creative with the way that they spend their money on a year-to-year basis there's less flexibility with fewer years on that contract see Aaron Rodgers who has a three-year deal worth 150 million dollars which basically all of it is guaranteed it limits what the Jets or previously the Packers are able to do with that contract I think that's basically what you're going to see. 50 plus million dollars on a five plus year contract extension for Joe Burrow. And I think this gets done in the very, very near future.
4: I'm with you. I I'm kind of calling BS on it, too. I I think he's going to end up settling for basically what the deal was for Lamar Jackson, a little bit more money. And if you wanted to, you could do the kind of what you said, the Mahomes Rocco 10 years. And honestly, I think that makes a ton of sense if you're Joe Burrow. And there's been rumors. I don't know if, if it'll happen or not. There's been rumors about Mahomes restructuring a deal. So if you end up if you're Joe Burrow and you do take kind of the team friendly route, you keep your wide receiver weapons with you there in Cincinnati, and, and you end up saying, you know what, actually I do want more of the pie. They'll restructure the contract for you if if needed. So I. I kind of call BS on it right now, but I, I think it would be smart to go the longer route and take that kind of team friendly deal
3: from the four, four, three guys. If Joe Burrow wants to compete in the AFC with the future or in the future with Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, etc., he should take a pay cut. So that way the Bengals will be able to surround him with talent to win consistently. No, he shouldn't.
4: Where no, he shouldn't. The four, four, three,
3: uh, Lamar Jackson didn't take a pay cut. He's assuming that the Baltimore Ravens are going to be able to surround him with talent. Jalen Hurts got paid market value. Why? Because he's a really good quarterback and he earned it. If you're Joe Burrow and you've been, in my opinion, the second best quarterback in the NFL over the first few years of his NFL career, you have earned every right to make all of the money that you are asking for. He should get $55 million per year. That should be the going rate. He should be the one that resets the market above and beyond what we saw from Lamar and Jalen Hurts because he's that much better. So I... I disagree with that entirely. I get the idea because people say all the time, well, look at what Tom Brady did. Yeah, Tom shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have. I think he looks back on that now and says, I regret taking less than what my market value was. He also made hundreds of millions of dollars off of the field and had a wife that shouldn't matter, but I think it kind of does, who made more money in her career than he did. So he he was fine. I think Joe Burrow should try to get all of the money for the Bengals because he's earned that, right?
4: I, I'll be curious to know, who signs first, him or Herbert? I wonder, because both are going to wait to see if Burrow waits, Herbert signs, he's going to top Herbert. Herbert waits, he's going to top Burrow. So both now, teams should be trying to get them done now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's my point is I, whoever it is that's going to go first it's almost one of those where it's like, yeah, we're going to get this done. Now it's just kind of, to me, in my opinion, Joe and Jessica, all right, you you go first. You you go first. I not want to top yours by just a little bit, but you go ahead and go first.
3: I think that's why Lamar waited. I think he was waiting for one of the other guys to sign their deals to be able to get the next market value deal. He and he was, waited and Jalen Hurts signed his and his was like a week later. And it was saying, basically it was like the that. exact same as the Jalen Hurts deal with like yeah. an extra million dollars per year on both the guaranteed money and the salary. Yeah. It's a super easy deal to get done. He's got basically what Jalen Hurts said. All right. This isn't NFL related, but uh, it kind of is because Madden in the words of Grant Francis earlier today stinks awful. Uh, EA sports, however, is making a new football video game. It's coming out. Once again, it is the NCAA game. I'm not sure they're going to be specifically calling it that it, right now. They're saying it's the EA sports college football game. You remember it as NCAA though. It's been gone for more than a decade it was one of my favorite games to play as a kid i would do the the dynasty mode in the or the heisman campaign mode
5: yeah
3: it was the absolute best it's so much better than madden i am thrilled that this is coming back and i am thrilled that nil is what is allowing this to take place because they're allowing fbs players to opt into using their name image and likeness within this game it's gonna be fantastic can't
4: yeah, wait i i love it i i i loved playing it too when i was growing up and i love the heisman one i love the dynasty where you could build a program i even though illinois stunk and it was always hard i i looked at it it was so much fun and you got the college atmospheres too uh i i'm excited for this and i i'm excited that it's gonna have the players in it because i remember when he used to play it was like oh my quarterback number six yeah and it's just like the randomly generated yeah names. it's like this means nothing to me like now that you can actually say hey i can play as caleb williams in the college football game that's exciting and, and like uh, bj Rob- or bajon robinson who just got drafted out of texas it would be awesome to- i would love to play as the fighting line i would chase brown on my running back this year it'd be great so I- i'm excited that this is coming back
0: i will say it's a great opportunity for this game too because right now the gameplay on madden is awful like i remember playing madden religiously when i was a kid growing up and i loved it and maybe i just suck now that is a reality <laughs> a potential reality in this but like Playing it now, the gameplay is just not as fun at all. So I think this is a huge opportunity for EA to get this game out there and boost it early.
3: Well, what you should have done in the old days, T-Bone, I don't know if you were familiar with this. You could import all of the college rosters.
4: I do remember that. that I do remember how you say it because I
3: remember one day you just get, download it right when you get the yeah. game and you're like, all right, cool. Somebody's going to have this on the PS4 share or whatever. It's great.
4: Yeah. I, I feel bad for the guy that had to take the time to do that. Oh, my God. I'm sure there was like
3: a computer way to generate it that I wasn't smart enough to understand, but it was, I, I did appreciate somebody else taking the time I, to do that.
4: What I'm going to be fascinated to know is. What they do if there's like a whole team that doesn't opt in in terms of the players with the NIL. Because it's like, randomly generated. It. And the reason I asked that question is because, for example, FIFA, I think it's EA owned, is FIFA. Mm-hmm. One of, I think it's Juventus, one of the top teams in Italy. They did, it wasn't a player thing, it was a team thing. They didn't sell the rights to the team. To be in the game because there's another soccer competing game they I sold think it's it to licensed
3: them. through the NCAA so I'm sure that the NCAA will allow them to use the likenesses of the teams and then it's it just generated. comes down to the players yeah maybe Whether I' or not you're able to I'll just
4: it. be fascinated no and like I would think like I I hope they do all of the FBS programs I hope it's not just Hey, this is a lot of money. Nil. Let's just do the Power Five. I want no, every. School if they're going to gonna bring this there. back,
3: it means that they've negotiated stuff, and they'll they'll have everybody available for you. Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to win a four pack of tickets to Thursday night's Budweiser Bash. There will be a limited edition Mike Matheny bobblehead that night. And by the way, Mike Matheny will be joining the Fast Lane coming up today. So stay tuned for that. Mike Matheny on with the Fast Lane in the two o'clock hour. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But coming up next, Chris Kerber going to join us here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in the fast lane, they're going to have an opportunity, or they will be speaking, with Mike Matheny. So be sure to stay tuned with that. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Dodgers, including a limited edition Mike Matheny. Bobblehead, by the way, this time tomorrow, we will have the opportunity to be joined by the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak. Excited to talk to Mo. We'll do that this time tomorrow so be sure to tell all your friends to tune in to bk and ferrario tomorrow at 1 30 but right now we're going out to the 101 espn hotline to be joined by chris kerber the voice of the blues here on 101 espn kerbs we appreciate the time man how you doing today
6: bk doing good today how are
3: you uh, doing all right so i wanted to talk to you about the big nhl story that has uh been breaking over the last really i guess 12 14 hours or so which is Uh, it, It sounds like Arizona, their future is in flux now. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, Curbs, and at the time there was a lot of optimism that they would be able to get this deal pushed through and get a new arena built for them in Arizona. That's now done. That's not going to take place. What do you think the future holds for the Arizona Coyotes?
6: I do not see the future of the Coyotes in Arizona. I think the National Hockey League has tried for 26 years to make it work. And it just doesn't seem to, to go. They made a mistake uh, when they put the arena out in Glendale in the first place. They really, listen, in 26 seasons since they moved from Winnipeg, they've had seven different ownership groups and three different homes. Wow. And, and the first ownership group, which was Richard Bur- Burke and, um, and Steve Elman, I believe, was his name, they had issues even between them on how they were going to go because Elman was the real estate developer, and 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 so it really started there. Then when they built the arena out in Glendale, after having an arena much like Barclays Center where you couldn't even see all the ice at, at the Old America West, uh, it, it was just it was so difficult for people to get out to Glendale. And then now they they've got a new owner that's got the money, from my understanding, and in talking with some uh, with, with with people down in Arizona this past year when we went. This plan made sense. There's an area of land that includes part of an old dump that needs to be cleaned up. The Coyotes were planning, the the Coyotes' ownership basically was saying, we'll take care of it all. This is a piece of land that the city of Tempe doesn't want to touch and deal with because they'd have to do the cleanup. This was basically all going to get funded essentially by the the, the Coyotes. the, The Tempe City Council unanimously voted for it. It had to go to a vote. The interesting thing that happened here, guys, is they ended up getting people from both Glendale and from Phoenix groups there that were buying ads, convincing the people to not vote for it because those two entities did not want another entertainment complex, another 16 to 18,000 seat arena competing for concerts against the arenas that they already have built in those other cities. And so it really is quite a shame. And, You know, the reality of it is, is I don't know what contingency plans they have had this thing not go through. But it wouldn't surprise me whether it be San Antonio, whether it be Houston, whether it be someplace else. But I just at some point, I just have to wonder how much longer you keep trying. You know, look, they've only made the playoffs nine times in 26 years as well. So from an on ice perspective, it's a market that hasn't been given much of a chance either.
3: Uh, Curbs, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but just out of curiosity, because locally it, it, it's something that I know has been brought up. If they were to entertain the possibility of moving to Kansas City, how do you think that would go over here in St. Louis, both with fans here and then also, of course, uh, maybe more importantly with the Blues, who have uh, really kind of extended an olive branch to the city of Kansas City and has have made some real inroads there?
6: Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know how the territorial aspects of that would go. You know, it, for example, could... You know, where, where all of a sudden could the Blues not have an affiliate? Who gets Columbia or Jefferson City as part of their territory? Uh, I would have to think that the Blues would want to make sure from the NHL standpoint that they keep that as the place where wherever the television broadcast could go or wherever the, uh, the, the radio you can get radio affiliates uh, could go. That would be part of it. Beyond that, we do have some season ticket holders and have had them for a while that come in fairly regularly from Kansas City. That said, uh, I, I, I would love to see an NHL team in Kansas City, the rivalry in state, they're two different markets. So um, I would think, I, I'd have to think, because they have that building already available, uh, that if, if the Coyotes do move, I, I'd have to think, especially with the Hunt family owning the Kansas City Mavericks and, and having some obviously clout in the sports world and, and, and big say in the sports landscape in Kansas City, um, I, I I think they'd be kind of crazy, Kansas City or some people from there not kicking the tires, at least looking at that as an option. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's
3: joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, uh, we've been kicking around a lot of the different options for the Blues this offseason on, on what they could end up doing, whether it's via trade, free agency, looking into the draft and how all of these things, uh, they all kind of go hand in hand. One move in free agency affects what you do with trades and that affects what you do uh, in this year's NHL draft when you look at their burning needs going into the off season, if you could only add, if you were in Doug Armstrong's shoes and you could only add one player in one specific position, what position would you be looking to target this off season?
6: Okay. I'm going to go a little off the, uh, I'm going to go a little off the target for you on this one. Sure. Yeah. I I, I did was do just did did a little more research because a couple of times we've, we've talked about what type of player would you go for? I think the first thing that the St. Louis blues have to look at is some character and some personality. You know, for some old TV fans, a little Wessonality for, you know, for, you know, who, who's going to bring home the bacon here. And and I honestly, I'm intrigued to see if the St. Louis Blues put, w- w- would make an offer for somebody like a Trent Frederick. Uh, and because you're going to get him at a, you, you could get him at a good price. I wouldn't mind giving up one of those later first round picks for him. In this case, he, he brings some jam that you need. He, he fills a, he'll easily fill a fourth line, but more likely a third line role for you. And, and I just think they need some of that extra jam. And I think that that's an extremely important aspect to have on your team when you had younger players coming in. Someone to give them some space. Someone, you know, that says, don't worry about it, I got him, kid, and, and takes care of things. And the way Trent has grown. Now, look, the Boston Bruins, have, have they're going to have some cap space. They've got room because they're going to lose some players. Uh, they've got some things to figure out. But if you could get him to me, Rather than going on necessarily for this, you know this. Uh, I mean, look, if you can get a William Nylander, okay, obviously that is what it is—a uh, Mitch Marner type thing. I get that type of stuff, and and there's going to be some teams like like them, the Rangers, the the, the, the Maple Leafs. I mean, that, that are going to be up against the cap that are going to have to move somebody. But the other move that I'm really thinking that this team has is they've got to they've got to get some character, they've got to get some swagger, and I think they've got to bring somebody in. They can stand up for some of these younger players that are not only on the roster now, but coming in. And a guy like Trent Frederick, to me, fits that bill.
3: He makes a lot of sense. He, he kind of fits the the mold of what we've been talking about. We we brought up Ross Colton as that guy from the Toronto Maple Leafs, but, yes, or excuse sure. me, from the Tampa Bay Lightning. But it's that's the right. same idea, right? A third-line center, middle six center, uh, who's an RFA on a team that's getting into a little bit of a salary cap crunch. And uh, it's not that those teams want to give these players up, but eventually it becomes a numbers game. And w- what do you want to do if you're, for example, the Boston Bruins? Are you bringing back uh, David Krejci? now? Next year are you going to try to bring back some of these other middle six players or do you decide to bring back Trent Frederick and if you don't you could potentially get like you said a first round pick and return for him so it, it really is a numbers game there
6: Boston Boston has two two players that intrigue me that fit the bill of what Doug Armstrong was talking about Trent Frederick is one the one that might be a little ahead of Trent and with some of the people that they're going to lose and the way he responded under Jimmy Montgomery, I'd have a hard time seeing them making the move. But if we're just, we're playing a little fantasy. I, here a that intrigued I me like is, it is, is, is the brusque mm-hmm. is Jake DeBrusque? And uh, both those guys, you know, Jake's pedigree, is, speaks for itself, but both those guys bring it. I just think you, this team needs some more jam and it cannot be up to Braden, Shen and Robert Bortuzzo. To bring it where they're at in their careers. There's got to be some young, hungry blood to step up and do it. And there's look, there. I understand we're not talking about the old enforcer role here. You've got to be able to play. If you're a fourth line guy and you can penalty kill, you're going to get that 10 minutes of to 15 minutes of ice time a game. You've got to find some other ways. Uh, these are still young players that are growing into their own. We saw how they responded with a different head coach and Jimmy Montgomery. So how does that how does that impact what Boston does with them? We'll have to wait and see. But this is why it's important, if if you're a Blues fan right now, that you hope that this cap somehow doesn't change. And I don't know that it would at this point. But uh, because it's going to put some teams like Boston, New York, uh, Toronto, it's going to put some teams really in a cap spot that's difficult. and And that bodes well for the Blues this year. Then when it goes up next year, the Blues, I think, are more ready to play in the free agent pool at that point in time. So... But, you know, th- those are two guys that, hey, look, you know, Boston had a great run, and then and then they lost in the first round. You call and you ask, and you see if there's any traction.
3: Uh, Curbs, we'll get you out of here on this one. i got about 30 seconds left here, but I'm just curious. Have you started digging into any of these draft prospects at all? we got about a month left, so I, I don't blame you if you haven't. But have you started digging into any of these guys yet?
6: No, I, I haven't dug into them too much. I've been looking at some mock drafts and all that stuff. But it, it just appears to me that when you do get, if they do end up staying at 10, Brandon, it appears to me that you're still looking at maybe a player that uh, you're, you're not going to see on your roster for a year or two.
3: Go over to the Athletic and check out their piece that they did earlier today on this Mikov. I'm all in. Yes. I'm all in. Curbs, curves. That's my
6: guy. <laughs> is that is that the Russian?
3: It, it's the yeah. Russian. Yeah, he's not going to be over for the yeah. next three years. But they, I mean, the, the comparisons for him, the production that he's put up, like it's it's absurd.
6: <laughs> I, I don't think into. I'm telling. I can understand that. I just think you've got to be so much more sure about whether or not he's going to come over and what it's going to take. And with today's climate politically and stuff, what's going on, that's a heck of a risk. If that play, if that player ends up dropping later in the draft to, you know, to the middle teens or into the twenties, then maybe take them. But, I, I need to know a little bit more certainty before I take him. To nah, Curbs, we're
3: there. trading up. We're trading all of the first-round picks up to get to number three overall, and we're, take it, we're taking him.
6: That, that, that's the plan right there. I'm taking Carlson. If I'm top three, I'm taking Carlson. Sorry, four. To go to four,
3: then. <laughs> okay.
6: <laughs> all right.
3: <laughs> Curbs, appreciate the time, man. We'll talk with you again
6: next week. All right, guys, have an awesome week. Thanks.
3: Absolutely, same to you. That's Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time and putting up with our shenanigans. Coming up next, we'll give you a four-pack of tickets to Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Dodgers and put a bow on this with the rewind here on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a Daily Rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan. Featuring zero
6: fees and zero closing costs.
3: Uh. Oh. Hey. Uh is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Dodgers. This is tomorrow night, and this week's Budweiser Bash game features a limited edition Mike Matheny bobblehead. You can text in right now, 314-399-9646. If you are texter number 101, you can tell us what the trademark was that is getting eh, negotiated, I would say. We talked about this earlier today in the juncture. What was the trademark for? If you have the correct answer, your texture texter number 101 at 314 314- Four three nine 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 six four six. You are getting a four pack of tickets to Thursday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Dodgers. By the way, I mentioned that has a Mike Matheny bobblehead available. Mike Matheny will be on with the Fast Lane coming up here in just about 30 minutes or so. If you miss anything from our show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. We will be joined tomorrow by the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozalock. We will be talking to him tomorrow at 1.30. So be sure to tell all your friends. Be sure to tune into. BK and Ferrario tomorrow for the entire show, really, 11 to 2, but specifically at 1.30. Alex will be back tomorrow as well. Cardinals expecting to make a couple of more roster moves later on this afternoon. The Fastlane will keep you updated with all of that. Oscar Mercado has been called up. Matthew Libertor is making the start tonight. T-Bone, any predictions for Matthew Libertor's start tonight?
4: I'm going to say he goes five innings, allows two runs, couple of hits there, and strikes out. I'm going to go with eight. That's going to be my prediction
0: tonight.
3: I'll go five innings as well. Ends up giving up four earned runs oh, against so this negative. team, but you feel pretty good about it because two of those came on solo home runs. Doesn't allow a ton of contact otherwise, and you leave the game saying, hmm, I'm interested in seeing one more. Results weren't perfect, but I'm interested in seeing one more of those because he does have some swing and miss stuff that the Cardinals have been craving out of their rotation so far this year. For Tanner Hendrickson, who did a fantastic job today filling in for Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, who's always great on the board for us, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by
2: Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.